tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after this morning's programme. Coming up on the show, we'll be speaking to 12-year-old Cara Darmody in just a few moments' time. Anti-social behaviour at Tuss Clanmill at the Sports Hub there. Should a woman's role in the home be removed from the Constitution? Now, this uh, plays into a conversation that we had on the programme yesterday and big interest in that as well. We'll have a look at all things farming with uh, Katrina Morrissey, uh, Muriel Cuddy on empowering women. Of course, Muriel of uh, Marito, uh, 8020, the uh, clinic in Clonmel. And we've got gorgeous music on the way for you in the final hour. Um, I have a great fondness for classical guitar music. And we have Eleanor Kelly with us in the studio and uh, really looking forward to that. Also, we have tickets for you. The Marty Party is happening uh, tomorrow night at the University Concert Hall in Limerick. We spoke to Marty Morrissey uh, yesterday on the programme about this, and it sounds like it's going to be a fantastic evening altogether. So we have another pair of tickets to give away, and that's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you just put uh, uh, Marty Party, at the end of your contribution, we'll pop you in the draw. All sorts of people involved in that performance tomorrow night, including the Eurovision winners, Charlie McGettigan and Paul Harrington, and a whole host of uh, other people. So as I say, a pair of tickets to give away where that is concerned. A quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Daily Mail telling us, I was rather surprised by this, uh, President Higgins has said that schools must teach sex education in its fullest and those who fail to provide it should be punished. So very tough words indeed from the President and the rather surprise comments came in a statement marking International Women's Day yesterday in which the President said it was necessary for sex education to be taught, encouraged and its absence sanctioned. And uh, I wonder what you think about that. The Irish Times telling us that free public transport would be overly costly and incentivise excessive travel and would result in just 1% car reduction uh, travel. And and that's according to an independent uh, report commissioned by the NTA. Motorists seemingly are more likely to switch to public transport if fuel prices increase or parking and road usage is uh, restricted rather than if fares are made free. Now that's according to the um, report from the accountancy uh, firm Ernest & Young there. Also the Irish Times telling us that the government is facing mounting pressure over its decision to end the ban on evictions as Sinn Féin signalled plans to force a Doyle vote on that particular matter. Uh, The Irish Independent, they're leading with the story that the crush for many high points, healthcare courses is easing as CAO applications settle back to more normal patterns uh, post uh, pandemic. And also the 297,000 plus salary of Robert Watt, the highest paid government department chief, has been frozen until a review of senior public servants' pay is completed. How is the poor pet going to manage? 297,000. It's going to be frozen. So if you want to send him money, I'm sure he'll be very appreciative of that. Finally, let's have a look at the examiner. They're telling us that a homeowner with €11,000 left to pay on their mortgage and who was making uh, 
repayments, had a repossession order granted against them in favour of an investment fund. And the Rochtus Committee has heard and another mortgage holder with uh, 6,000 just left to pay had a similar order granted against them in court, uh, said the Money Advice and Budgeting Service uh, business manager Dermot Srinan. That's incredible, isn't it, when you consider uh, the the write-downs that some people got. But anyway, there you go. Do you want to comment on any of that? Uh, 83 Now, del- delighted to be joined, uh, as usual, on the Thursday morning in the studio by 12-year-old Cara Darmody from Art Finnan. And, of course, she's been spending one day a week in Leinster House in the continuation of her campaign to secure better services for families dealing with autism. She's also joined in studio by her father, Mark. And good morning to you both. And thanks. Hi, friends. Thanks, Hi. How are you? Great to see you both. Um, Mark, you're going to start off our conversation today because you, you have some news for us. Yeah, Fran, look, I suppose, um, look, first of all, thanks a million to you and Tip FM. But um, look, Kara's had a fantastic run of it. Uh, we've had some crack and she's had like, t- you know, almost 10 weeks now going up and down to like Dublin. Um, but I suppose the time has come where like she's got her message out there in a massive way. And like we've got massive feedback on the streets and it's been fantastic. But I suppose the day comes when, you know, we as parents as well just have to say, look, maybe she needs to step back just a little bit. And the timing, I think, is perfect for her. Um, we don't want her to be seen as a negative person all the time. And, you know, like grading the politicians has been great crack. Yes, and like, sure. it, it has been brilliant crack. <laughs> well, we've all but, enjoyed it great. Yeah, but it looks like they're not going to do better than their Fs last week. So, look, I mean, we don't want her on every week with just the bad, the bad, the bad, the bad, yes. the bad. So, look, because she's a real positive person. And look, she's going to have to study for her exam. And that's only 90 days away so like we're going to try and pull her back a little bit so you know mm. today maybe might be the last day for a while maybe until right. our exam or something like that so we might just pull her back a little bit uh, from it. Um, what about the visits to Leinster House? Uh, will that be pulled back a bit yeah, as well? Mark? You see she's going to have, there's ministerial meetings coming up but she's kind of got to the stage now where there's not many left and she's going to possibly have a trip to the Auris as well so we're kind of waiting on dates for stuff for that so look I mean we're just trying to cut back a little bit and just pull it back a little bit but it's you know we just don't want her to be seen as a negative person of course. all the time we slightly you know. touched on it last week when mm. you spoke about how tired you both are indeed, yeah from those there's trips. a little bit there as well that we can yeah. only give so much as well yeah. and look look listen I will say this to my dying day it's been some crack yeah <laughs> like it's been a roller coaster <laughs> hasn't it? it well it's it's actually been all up yeah. um, we've we've been like we've had some stories and some crack and look look the crack is going to continue for her because she's going to have her exam there'll be a lot of media attention around that mm, at the time of course, so yeah. we need to prepare for that as right. well and just you know but look listen what I want to say is this I want today to be a celebration of Tip FM who have backed her from the first day and brought awareness to the issue of autism and disability in a positive way and Fran I'm sorry but I think everyone listening to me today will want me to say this thank you to you Fran Curry for everything oh, for that nothing, you do nothing. and say and you support so many causes here and all I can say as a Tipperary person, I am proud to sit here in front of you today. I am proud to be in this studio. I am proud that we're associated with this radio station. And Cara got it right on day one, and she'll speak here now in a second. <coughs> Tip FM is Ireland's number one radio station. You are the top presenter in oh, this I country. Know what you're and we are just so grateful to be here with well, you. Well, we're, we're 
been delighted to support you along the way. It's been a hell of a journey and it's mm. been great fun, as you say, even though it's a very serious subject mm. that uh, you've yeah. all been uh, addressing. Cara, how are you? Are you ready for a bit of a rest? Do you think I'm very point? good, but more importantly, how are you? I'm, first of I'm all? absolutely sparkling today, Cara. <laughs> <laughs> you look like it. <laughs> but we were delighted to have so many programmes with you over the time and to cover what you've been doing. You know, how are you feeling at this point? Look, I feel a little bit tired, but, like, I've met most of the politicians and the ministers, and, look, I mean, every week, like, a lot of them get the bad grades, like the E and the F, but, like, mm. they don't seem to be doing too much better, so I'm going to just take a break for a little while, but I won't be very far away, though, and I can always come back to you and chat you about my can. exam in around three months, but if you want to. We'd be delighted to have you at any point whatsoever. What did you make... Have you enjoyed the... The, the arguing with politicians and listening to politicians and questioning them. Is that something you've enjoyed over the last one? Oh, I have to say, it's just like what my dad said. It's, it was some crack. It yeah. was so much fun, like grading the politicians, going up to Leinster House, and it was just so fun. But, like, even, like, Dad, you said it there, that, like, we're both, like, kind of tired now. But So we're going to take a little break for a while. But not just a break. We're going to be really preparing for the exam now. But like I said, there, I can always come on in around three months if you wanted to talk about the exam we, and, tell, and to give you delighted, an update. Delighted. But indeed, either way, yeah. whether you say yes or no, you're still going to be my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'd be delighted to have you at uh, any point in the Boy, did we get a response to that photograph of you and me last week uh, in your outfit? Oh, yeah. Fantastic response from everybody on that. What have you got in front of you there? You've got some, you've got some notes and stuff from Have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I have some awards to hand out. To oh, you've awards, big yeah. awards, okay. yeah, some big, big awards from Cara yeah. University, <laughs> <laughs> new university. Mm-hmm. Okay, shoot away with your awards. So the first award is the best producer and editor. So in the hat were the producers of the Late Late Show, Ireland AM, and Tip FM, and the winner goes to. Miss Alison Highland of Tip FM. She's going to be delighted with that. Absolutely delighted. Next one then. So, number two, Ireland's best radio station. Big, big competition here. You had RTE Radio 1, News Talk and and Tip FM. And the winner is... Wait for it. <laughs> Tip FM. Hey, how do we know? Well done. Why are we delighted with that? It's yeah. going good, yeah. Very good indeed. And the last award, the last one of all, number three, and now to the main Oscar, to the <laughs> biggest award that Cara University can hand out, <laughs> and it is for Ireland's top radio presenter. Now, there are big names in the pot here and a lot of competition. There's Fran Curry from Tip FM and two from RTE called Ryan Toberty and Claire Byrne. <laughs> and the winner is, drum roll, Mr. Fran Curry from hey. Tip oh, FM. Ah, here, ah, oh, here, here. Wow. I'll have such a big head after this, I won't be able to get out uh, the door. Thank you so much for that. Because, you, of course, you've done all the rounds of national radio and national television and all of that. That must have been very exciting for you, was it? 
Yeah, so much fun. But wow, I have to say, Tip FM really did well at that award ceremony. <laughs> really did well indeed. All right. Uh, Barbara was on to say, that well done to Cara and uh, to Mark as well for highlighting disability and carers' uh, issues. Have you been getting that a lot, Mark, from Actually, carers out there in particular? Actually, look, Fran, look, to be honest, um, like she can't go anywhere. And this is something as well, I suppose, like she'll have to go back to a normal life yeah, and this yeah. is all over. She can't go down the street without being stopped here in Clamell or whatever and everywhere. And even just, if I might mention, yeah. she's in, she's in Tesco since last week. Her is one of the three charities with the blue tokens. Yes. So thanks a million to Martin Allen and Tesco's for backing her. But it's everyone is aware of this. Yes. So like the one thing which she has achieved is awareness. Yes. Of awareness course. of carers, awareness of autism, of disability in general, waiting lists. Mm-hmm. People are talking about it now. Um, but like, you know, I've had meetings with the HSE. The HSE are well aware of everything. So it, it's, it's after bringing them to the table too. Isn't in that many great ways, to, yeah. Great to see. So, you now, know, the Nationalist has been fantastic as well, hasn't it? Because they're they're carrying your your your, your weekly yeah, article they've been as well. Which fantastic. Is now, I I I'm, I'm going to contact them. I, I, look, she can do that on Sundays yes, or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. she might be able to keep that going. But yeah, look, um, there's always the photo with some politician and some course, you know yeah. headline. The Nationalists yeah. have been fantastic. Yeah. Like again, you know, backing her 100, percent but giving her the opportunity to to get her message out there. But again, like the message has been heard by the people of Tipperary loud and clear. Nobody nobody walks up and says you. Know, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. all they're definitely all well, sure. Well, but well there comes a time this, yeah. where I think where we've made our point. Right. And I think, you know, she doesn't have to keep making it day after day after day after day um, because she will be in the media again. Yeah, that will happen in due course naturally. But as I said, she needs to go back to, to the three Fs, um, to her football, to her friends and to fun as well. Oh. Because she is 12 years old and we have to protect that as well. And anyone who knows her knows she's the most fun little thing in the I world. Know. But she needs to be kind of just allowed as well because she still has to study. So we need to go back to that. You know, we really need mm. to get her back with her. Well, all we're all extremely proud of you. You're a marvellous yeah. young girl and I can only dream about what it is you're going to go on to do. Uh, and I know you'll go on to do marvellous stuff, uh, Karen. Thank you so much indeed. And to you and to all of your family Thank as well. Thank you so much, Fran, for uh, being my best friend and for supporting me since the very beginning and last week. Tip April FM is number one. So that when no one else supported we? me, you did. Yeah. I love you so much. Uh, yeah, well, I think, I think that uh, people tip her, we need to support local radio, full stop. We need to listen to our local radio. All news is local. Local, we need to tune in and we'll, we'll still be tuning in every morning we, we'll, we'll be the biggest well, fans well we hope so and, and we'll yeah. be conscious that you're out there listening as well yeah. Mark and Carrie thank you so much indeed thank, thank you, you do look so after much, and friend. we look yeah. forward to talking to you around the time of the exams as well thanks very much indeed thank Carol. you we'll take a That's break fantastic. we'll be right back Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. There's a re- Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, lots of uh, congratulations coming in for Cara Darmody and indeed for Mark and uh, her family as well. And thanks very much indeed for that. 083 311 Now, there's been some reports of antisocial behaviour, roaming teens and uh, vandalism indeed at Clonmel Sports Hub, situated adjacent to the TUS Clonmel Digital Campus. Uh, Creative media lecturer at TUS is Bernie Goldback, who posted a video 
highlighting uh, this behaviour with, uh, along with uh, Councillor Michael Murphy as well and Bernie joins me in studio. Good morning to you Bernie. Morning Fran. And good to talk to you today. For people who didn't see the video or who mightn't have caught up on this news, will you tell us what, what happened? Well, the, the video is a pretty simple walkabout of the, the campus grounds, the north side of the Tusk campus, so it's a sports hub. And there's some there's some damage done to the uh, facility even before it's opened, and we're trying to figure out a way, a consolidated thought process of trying to make sure that that 5 million euro project isn't compromised even before it's open. It's a tough run because um, when kids get it, get a performance act in mind, break a window, break another window, break a bigger window, or do combat sports on the zip line, things can get out of hand. I mean, no matter how you police it or how much security is on it, the energy of, of, of a young teen, <laughs> I remembered it vividly when I had four brothers, it almost goes to the point of just overkill, want to do it for the performance, want to do it for the, the crack. The problem is things are going to get, are being damaged and some strategies being considered about how to prevent that, mm. active people securing it, for example. And the thought, I think, overall is once you get activity on the sports hub, runners, mm. uh, cyclists, uh, activities with young families, I think some of the behavior will moderate. But if things are broken, then the gates will start getting locked and... What's that good for if you can't use it? And the, the irony is, of course, is that, I mean, we, we hear the complaint all the time that young people don't have enough to do, but the sports hub will address that, hopefully, and, and hopefully. this is, this is mm. what's being damaged. Yeah, but you see, um, in the back of the law, I, this is probably a community guard issue because I'm sure there's a pathway that you could lead some of the kids with too much energy into another activity that would be like out there as a as advertisement or as an enticement so i think right now there's a potential that some of the kids who are doing the things that are antisocial might actually not be interested in the things that are more athletic and uh, yes. recreational that yeah. that's always that's a challenge trying to connect the dots between people who are loitering with an activity that you've funded and I, I'm sure people are looking behind the scenes at that. You have triathletes looking at the scene, looking at that, or cyclists or athletic club members. Um, I'm not sure all the dots have been connected. One part of the video um, that Michael Murphy had mentioned was that, you know, it's time's come to where we have to sit down with the various key players, the council, the TUS, and the three athletic clubs to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? So is there an event-based calendar that we're going to have that we can cross-promote? Are there things that we can offer as little pathways? Like I was thinking, the BMX track that's there, yeah. Uh, yeah. there's no BMX club in Clonmel, but there's active ones in like Lucan and, and uh, three or four other places down in Coretown. Maybe we need to have that brought into the space where we get little bikes, basically miniature BMX bikes for nine-year-olds or bigger ones for nine to 13-year-olds and have competitions. Well, that be uh, terrific. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, but see, I'm only on the staff there watching uh, things that happen, like windows getting broken or kids that are misbehaving. I, I don't know the other dots to connect. And I guess that has to happen at a pretty high level to bring the people together. And Michael Murphy is basically saying, we're going to do this. So I'm sure something will occur. It'll be a mention. The item mm -hmm. will be an agenda item in the Tipperary County Council. So perhaps, you know, these things can occur. Now, I'm inside 
the campus building. And what I see there are kind of like, it's performance art on the outside. Kids will face plant themselves against windows. They'll take a, a slitter, uh, a stone, and a hurley and go whacking at the large windows to break them. And they want to be chased. It's part of the fun of getting chased. Um, if their siblings or friends were inside the building next to the window that they're misbehaving at, I don't think they'd be as oriented towards performing. If their sister or brother was reading a book or using the yeah. Wi-Fi inside the, the campus canteen, maybe the behavior wouldn't be as as obnoxious. Right. So we need to be more inclusive, is that what you're saying? Yeah, but you see, this is out of my remit. Once yes. again, let's go yeah. back over to Mike Murphy and say, look, if we're going to bring twist to the table and say, if what I just outlined is a form of behavior that would moderate it. But, I mean, the guys that work over at the... In the wilderness, the youth activity uh, centers there, they would probably say maybe that'll work. Bring the siblings in or the cousins in so they see their friends inside. They're less likely to damage the thing that's that's around the outside. Yeah, there seems to be a a real outbreak of this because we were speaking about Marketplace in Clonmel yesterday as well, which is being attacked in the very same fashion, Bernie. And I know what listeners are going to text into us and say, what about the parents on this? Why isn't there some uh, jurisdiction over these kids? But I mean, without even going to that, I go to the I'd go to the community guards because they know the, they know this they know the child psychology in this. Yeah. I'd go to the youth workers because they know the people that should be on the programs in this, and I'd ask them. So, what do you lads think? So, you could, you, I'm not just counting the fact that parents should take more control. Yes, but like we're inside the building and we can see it happening. And I'm just saying, I know from my brothers misbehaving when I was growing up. If one of us was in a place in the car, the other brother wouldn't throw his ice cream at the car it just wouldn't happen right and, and it's just something there's something about that sibling um, factor uh, maybe they thought that we'd open the car door and beat them <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> i don't know yeah. but it wouldn't happen and um i i, I, I kicked the ball to touch to say hey youth psychologist if you're listening what what ideas would you have have those people text in and and bring it to the community guards who know how to connect the dots we need to tell them the tactics yes yeah and any idea when something like that could be looked at? I mean, you know, I hate talking shops, to be honest with you, yeah. Bernie. I mean, well, no, you no, know. we're we're doing. Oh, well, we we take liberties where I work. In that we say we, we make decisions about. Okay, we can do this. Like we'll go outside and confront the kids, which can be at risk. It can put us at risk by saying, "Look," because I mean, if the kids don't like the manner in which we speak, we'll get things thrown at us. Course, that's happened. Yeah. We'll get the car scratched. That's what, what age group are we talking about here? Anyone, about anything from 9 to about 17. They're young. Oh. Young and fast. Um, but the problem is with the students confront them and say, hey, it's my bike, then this, they're often, a, they're actually attacked downtown. Stuff is thrown at some of our students because the students said, stay with my bike. And then <laughs> it, they, they the reaction goes all the way to the streets of Climel, and that never happened before. Now, has this escalated over the years? I mean, yes. what about your own experience? Oh, there? yes. This oh, yes, is getting has. much worse, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so now, but you see, I'm not a person that would deal with that. that that's a bigger issue. In terms of the campus thing, yes, yes that sir. also has escalated. And what I'm saying is, like, I, I won't, I sit in a corner office, and the kids have misbehaved there. They've created situations where it's interrupted Zoom calls I've been on or counseling sessions I've had. So what the campus has done is they put a new three-meter-tall fence around my my part of the building so that doesn't happen anymore. And there's a planning consideration about, well, should we fence the whole campus and prevent it, you know, control the access or, more importantly, control the exit point. So if the guards do respond, the kids have to run past the guard car to get out 
Right now they can get out like five, six different places and escape. It's like scurrying little rats. <laughs> They're fast and they, they know the grounds. Now, they've also used those grounds over the generation. That's 20 years. Yes. That's where they eat their takeaways. That's where they meet up with their friends. It's where they, it's where young people loiter. So now that's another issue. You if there it's a structure for them to loiter somewhere else. I mean you go to the Clonmel Library almost most afternoons, nearly every desktop is taken by people that are studying or mm. even cert using yeah. their laptops and stuff like that. Um, we have space in our campus where we could facilitate people who live in Bordeaux, who, who live in Cashel Court, who live in areas that um, we could serve. Now that's a decision at higher level of management. Do we open up a facility? to dampen down some of the external problem by bringing in kids that we target, that we know are from the families of those who are messing. Now, the community guards would know those families. They would know those kids. Right. Do we do that? And, I, and, I and these know. kids would have influence over the younger kids. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. We, we also have activities we tried before, but most of the kids have to be oriented towards like uh, digital technologies. Yeah. Like we've yeah. had quarter Toter Dojo. We've had them doing Makey Makey. We can take bananas, for example, and turn them into a musical keyboard with our MakerBot stuff that we have. So it's some really fun stuff. We have uh, little devices that can race up and down our corridor uh, against, uh, you program them to do certain mm. things, turn, like a we make a Formula One track, and it's really kind of fun. Right. So this could be very attractive to young yeah, people. Yeah, but it? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a strategy now, yes. to say, well, we, are we going to do this? Are we going to have, like, a mini Microsoft right. Dream Space in our car. And how does TUS feel about this? Well, because asked. essentially uh, you're doing some social work here yeah, as well. No, no, I haven't asked. So that's why <laughs> it's dangerous that I, I, I might <laughs> yes. be thrown out of the next staff meeting saying, what are you talking about? Right. Putting kids... No. Because it does bring uh, you into a social no, problem there. Uh, yeah, it, I, I'm just talking from a perspective of a uh, you know, young parent. And I, I've worked with uh, pretty rough kids in California when I was based there with the military. And you could change their life. By having them do something they didn't think was possible. So like in my case, I had them wax airplanes, uh, check the tire pressure, start aircraft engines, taxi the aircraft. Boy, did I change their behavior. I mean, they controlled something with their feet and with the ignition switch, and it would make a lot of noise, and it vibrated. And all we did was taxi it for 10 minutes around right. big aircraft. But it was exciting. Yeah. something. I mean, yeah. like totally changed their perspective of, wow, may, they, they were thinking, maybe I could do this. So maybe we, we need, to, but it was hands-on stuff, not digital. Right. We teach digital. This is the most um, useful conversation I've had on the whole business of antisocial behavior, to be honest with you. Um, mm. and, and it's providing possibly an answer, or maybe as yeah. part of an answer. Um, because mostly what we get in is about, you know, well, why the hell aren't the parents yeah. monitoring where these yeah, kids well, are? We're not taking anything away from... Well, of, I mean, of course, if, from if the, the responsibility parents, of parents. Yeah. If the parents simply said, hey... Look at this. And, and they, we had a brochure that a, their kid could look at. The kids would, oh, I like to look at that. I mean, we could make it so that they could explode stuff. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, simple, yeah. you know, in a controlled area. Yeah. You know, uh, a really interesting science experiment like and, that. And uh, Michael Murphy, in, in fairness to Michael, he's very open-minded. But has he embraced this? Uh, well, no, this continues you... the conversation. He did a 47-minute walkabout seeing everything yeah. last yeah. weekend. Fair play to him. You know, he took it all on board, listened to the caretaker. I mean, like, these, this is a dynamic issue. Right. Every week there's something else that yeah, happens. I know. And I don't want to get into the dirty laundry of it, but every week. And, you know, we're trying to dampen it and control it. Um, but there needs to be a and bigger... what are you afraid of there that by even talking about it you might escalate it? Is that, no, is no, that... no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to speak for the institution. I'm just here, like, uh, as a simple creative media lecture saying, here's what I see. 
in my past work, and I was not a qualified youth worker, but mm. in my past work with the Boy Scouts of America and with um, <clears throat> a community act, Action Center or Voluntary Center. Yes. This is what I did. Now I'll bring that to the table. So I can do that again if you if you want. I don't have an airplane that can be flown around, but we could do other things. Right. We, we for example, we could take the BMX track and we could put miniature cars on it, controlled by a handset, so they could actually play a game. You know, that'd be a real thing, real car going up and down over the rippled tarmac at them to see who wins. And if you're not good with what you're doing, the car will crash. And a lot of kids would find that quite fun, saying, "Okay." Round two. It's fabulous. It's yeah. Fran versus Emma. Here yeah. we go. And it's fun. You, you paint the car, you know, with a, put a little decal on it, so it test your car on a flat straight, and then you go with a ripple BMX track. It's much more difficult. They go airborne, but then sometimes they come down. Come down and roll. I don't, but I think it's brilliant because, of course, then they get insight into what they could be doing oh, yeah, yeah. In, in college oh, at yeah, some stage absolutely. or other, you know? No. Which, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, I'm sure someone's listening from the Tipco Coast saying, yeah, okay, let's do this. And I say, well, we've got to fund that. And yeah. There's ways of doing that. But, I mean, it's not just me. It's a team that would have to do this. Right. Uh, well, I have, I have guys that would work on it. But, but really, do I gather what you're saying? Unless this is addressed in some way, this is just That's going to keep escalating. Yeah, is that it? I, I, I like what Michael Murphy says. Let's do an MOA, a memorandum of understanding, between the entities that operate in this space. Tip Coco will be involved, he says. Tuss will be involved, I, ho- I know. Mm-hmm. Okay, then, what, what are we going to try what? to do? And I'd start it, you know, I wouldn't start it with what I'm saying. I'd start it with what are the events that these young kids could do, could attend at? What are these other things that other entities, companies might want to sponsor? Because when they put their hoarding up, we can get money to buy the things I'm talking about. Of course. Um, then, so you do with events, start with events, uh, uh, with the MOU, and then you say, now what? And I would say, I would then embrace, like you're saying, I would go hard on, hard into the inclusivity dimension, saying, like, we're going after the kids who everyone probably says doesn't deserve, they don't deserve this this yeah. treatment. Yeah. So, yes, they do. This is what, this is, this is the concept of social justice. This is why you pay people to stay active, not to sit at home and take sniping, you know, literally. Yeah, sniper yeah. shots. Because that's the easy thing to do, yeah. I suppose. Um, it sounds very exciting, and I hope we see something uh, positive where that is concerned, uh, Bernie. Have you given yourself a bit of a time scale on this? Are you hoping that you'd see action by... Well, you, uh, the, there's a... In, a in mon- May, things are opening up in the There's, a, there's a monthly meeting of the county council, so I imagine this first Tuesday of May, I think it's a big council meeting, that will be an agenda item, TIPCO Co. And it will be looked at at the highest level there, and get the cross feeding into these other entities, yeah. Um, in terms of what I'm thinking about doing with little objects that are like racers and stuff like that, that's part of the usability experience degree that I'm that I teach it to us, and we could actually factor that in. Saying the the experience we want kids to have is looking at a screen and controlling something that's actually live on the track, or we want to train them in a virtual track first before we give them the handset to control it with little joysticks on the real track. That's a UX thing. Mm. So we could build that in as something we teach. And, and we could offer the kids a digital badge for doing the thing on the screen first before they get the, the, the joystick yeah. for the real thing. We could do that. But I mean, it's got to be factored in to how we teach. We have a full teaching load there. This does fit some of the modules. Yeah, it, it, it sounds exciting. It sounds creative, and, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it would work. And God knows you've seen something similar working in California. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, can I ask you to put on your, your military expertise <laughs> hat, okay. if you would? I'm very concerned about what's happening in Ukraine at mm-hmm. the moment. Um, are you? 
Yeah, well, it's uh, it's just a matter of sustaining the fight at this point. Uh, it goes back to something that you might know from my past where we used to fly, literally used to fly warehouses across the Atlantic and the Pacific when the warehouse inside the aircraft were expended wherever they were going to go. So we would fly to the Pacific or the Atlantic for a submarine or an aircraft carrier, something that would we would know would be broken by the time we landed. So what America's doing right now is they're giving multiple millions of dollars a week to Ukraine in these flying warehouses. So they're putting ships across the Atlantic with stuff, ammunition shells and stuff like that. And they're also bringing across stuff that uh, they're bringing stuff across in the aircraft. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, tell me about the, the, the tanks, uh, the, the Ukrainian soldiers, they're being trained in terms of these tanks at yeah. the moment. But, of course, they're all screaming for the F-series um, yeah. airplanes, yeah. Uh, too. Wh- wh- would that be a complete gauge? Why would they not put the jets in there? Well, I think from a point of view as an instructor pilot, because I used to train fighter pilots. I yes. mean, you, you'd, you'd want to be training, and they may be, Ukrainian fighter pilots now in American or in... Um, Polish or in British air bases. Yes. So, like, we used to, I used to train a lot of um, Saudi Arabians uh, and, and uh, Portuguese and NATO pilots. When I, when I flew in, um, in, in Oklahoma, T-38 in Oklahoma, so that needs to be happening now. So some of the current right. experienced Ukrainian pilots need to be brought over to America, either into the fighter school in uh, New Mexico or into the fast jet trainer, the T-38, in different places now. So now those they, they would become the training pilots for the F-16s if they ever are deployed into yes. Ukraine. Well, possibly they won't be deployed because it could be a, a final escalation that could I lead to anything. No, I don't think so. Um, that's just my read of it. I think the the real hesitation. People say escalation, but but what they're actually thinking about is maintainability. I think because it's like it's not just the plane. I mean, the, the logistics channel to support an F-16 is massive. The thing will fly with a lot of broken parts on it, but you don't want to be flying a limp fighter jet up there. Right, so there's um, much more to it than planes arriving yeah, into yeah. Ukraine and, and being and used in the battle. It's yeah. part of the what's, what's happening across many of these countries is they're realizing that if they deplete their tanks or their ammunition, they don't have anything in the warehouse. Nope. They did this game. Every year I used to do this. We, we do these um, simulations. Mm. And they, it was all on paper. They didn't actually go and count the number of shells they had, the number of helmets they had. They just did it on a spreadsheet. Now it's coming down when they realized they opened the storage location. Was, oh, my God. We actually don't have any more. We don't have any howitzers. We've been pencil whipping that for the last five years. They're on back order. And that's the problem. They're actually Many of the countries who want to give Ukraine stuff actually don't have it. In the warehouses. And my job in NATO, we'd evaluate it. We'd go on site. So I had a, one of my storage locations had 5,400 vehicles in it. And every year, every October, I would go and count every tire, check the ted, tread depth, start the engines. Massive. Now, those are several places around Europe where America has those kind of things. Now, if they decided they're going to give all 5,400 of those vehicles to Ukraine, it would affect the ability to track Russian submarines. So America can't do that. Okay. And they can't make new ones just overnight. Right. And there seems to be both in Russia and Ukraine, there's a shortage of ammunition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's funny that, well, the the ammunition for Ukraine, most of it's being made in Biden's old hometown in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah, like hundreds of people have got new jobs. 
And these are, you know, like they said, we're going to open up this line. It's going to stay open for four years, right, lads? So, yep, that's the contract we're signing, four years. And so it's in a lot certain of people's interest for this mm, to oh, sort no, of and They're putting, trying along. to put all these things in red states. Wow. So we say that anybody who, so the Republicans say, oh, i got to watch how much we're spending. And they have people at, at well, the bar at getting jobs saying, in red yeah, states. Yeah, right. No, you, know, you don't wow. want to do it. Not here. Our stuff is good. You don't complain about our stuff. <laughs> and don't oh. vote down that legislation because that's our stuff. Right. So it is attractive to some elements for this to trundle on. It, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, it's real money um, that's not being spent for like childcare, education. Uh, medical care for elderly. I mean, of this is real money. But Biden is able to come out and talk about jobs and huge success where jobs are concerned. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that's the danger of the military-industrial process is you can always have this rosy yes. picture at the back end. But at the end of the day, the, the pot of money is only so big. And if you're spending it all on bullets and the bullets are shooting somebody else in another country, I mean, it's like... It's a real balancing well, act. Well, we've seen that on several occasions where Americans' yeah. intervention in various yeah. different places has... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, hope the, I, I do hope the Ukrainians do not have to give up territory. I mean, the end game is logically like, okay, the Rogner group will be depleted. Mm. Putin will come to the table, but he'll keep Crimea and he'll keep Donetsk or something. Yeah. I'd hope they can actually well, claim The Russians are, are gaining traction at the moment. They seem to Yeah, be. but I mean, it depends who you read yeah. about that. I mean, Ukrainians are, Ukrainians are pretty, pretty smart tactically about what they're doing. All right. It's always a pleasure to see you, Bernie. Thanks very much indeed, and uh, good morning to you. We'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Now, one of our listeners says we need more people like Bernie. I hope he gets the backing for his ideas. I think it would work. That comes in from Mary. Well, it sounds very exciting stuff indeed, uh, Mary, because we keep doing the same thing. And what to say about the definition of insanity is doing the same thing time and time again and expecting a different result. Uh, Ray was on to say, uh, warn people travelling from Nina to Bursley. Roadworks at Latera. And uh, the traffic is stopping on the bend of the road, so be very, very careful if you intend uh, driving in that uh, in that uh, vicinity. And also schools closed today. Bursley Primary School is closed. Corville National School is Mackin. Listen, Hall, uh, Lockmore National School is closed as well. The Second Heart Primary School closed in Ross Grey. Our Ladies Secondary School closed in Templemore and Bishop Harty National School in Enina as well. Now, we've been hearing over the past week from our listeners about illegal dumping and lots of rubbish ruining uh, beautiful areas, our roads and our green areas across the county. Councillor Andy Maloney was in touch and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Andy. Good morning, friend. Good to talk to you today as well. Um, will you tell me what what you were telling um, Emma and Alison uh, yesterday? What, what have you witnessed, uh, Andy? Look, I suppose when it comes to roadside litter, there's no hose there as far as we can see when we'll be collecting on the, the, the regional roads, we say we do clean up every now and again, but you'd have spot- bottles, like the old flag inside bottles, big two-litre lemonade bottles, full of, of which we thought were people firing out lemonade, uh, but it was actually urine that was in them. Urine? And, uh, urine, yeah. And so people have, peeing in the bottles? 
Yes, and I'm, I've still it to a guy one night we were in having a chat and we were finding and, and he was a truck driver and he told me that it's, a lot of the time he says it's truck drivers. And wh- why are they peeing in the bottles? Well, you see, well, I, I, well, as he was saying to me and I, I kind of have agreed with him is that the, the pressure that are on truck drivers to meet deadlines and to meet the venues and boats and things, you know, they're not stopping and they're trying to make the most out of their tachograph. And they're actually putting it into the bottle and the bottle goes out the window. Good God. I mean, this is a new one on me. I, it... Yeah, we were, we were astonished with it. And I was I'm not saying this, like it might be a minority of them, but it, we, we were coming across them and we couldn't figure out what the bottles were about, you know. So that, that's what there was. But look, you'll find bags of um, ashes, fire ashes from the fire side, clean out the fire. You'd see a good lot of that in the place, like just thrown in on the side, and they might think, look, it's biodegradable or whatever, but the bag isn't biodegradable. And you'd often see, as we would say along the road, you'd see sporadic bunches of daffodils and things. That would come from, from maybe from clean and things, so somebody might go out and shovel it out into the side of the ditch and out of the way, but there'd be bulbs in it, and you'd see daffodils and things growing up afterwards. So does, does anything goes, like from house tiles, even clean out the taking tiles off of bathrooms or kitchens, Anything, anything goes when you're when you're out on the regional roads. Yeah, we heard about um, uh, furniture uh, being discarded and mattresses and all all sorts of stuff there. But one that intrigued me yesterday, I think it was Tommy Barrett who said to me, um, "People who pick up their dogs' poo in the plastic bags, that's fine, great, good idea. They take it home, then they put it in another bag and they discard that uh, just in in the countryside somewhere." Yeah, yeah. Well, look, that that's, it, it even happens in the town where you supply the the poop or scooper bags, and like. People would ring and say, "Look, there's no no um, bags in the dispenser here." They're the place. Like, the dispensers really only are put up so that people are caught in an emergency and nothing. Yeah. You know, you go 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 out to walk the dog, and you might just just you know might be no fault you own. You'd forget to have. Like, but you 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 would just like, if you, you know you get caught there. Yeah, that's but most people should have a bag in their pocket anyway. You buy them inside for a euro or two euros inside most of the, the shops. Yeah, but they're defeating the purpose of picking up the poo into the bag if they're going to discard the bag into a ditch somewhere. Yeah, and we had issues here where one, one dispenser was near enough to a house and, and people were filling it and putting it in over the wall. Oh, so the lady God. in the house was kind of giving out to us about it. Like, but, no, it's, look, I don't know, friend, there's, there's a whole big thing. We'd say the green flags are in our schools with over 25 years and I suppose most of the kids going to school were in around five years of age. So you're talking about of, of, of green flags was, was for people. So I, th- I don't think it's, it's the older generation. I think the older generation are, are they're not out and about as much, but mm. they're, they're definitely switching on quicker, I think. But it's just people that have gone through the whole green flag process that I think are, are, are the culprits in the main. Yeah, because, but there's never been as much education. There's never been as much highlighting of how important it is to have the environment um, clean and, and healthy and all of that. But it, it's not working for some reason. Rather. Well, that's, that's not saying you, you, there was never more uh, much education about about environment and so forth. As I said, you see, when the green flag is into an area, it could be green flag beyond um, LED or, or reducing uh, your your efficiency of your lights and things this year. There could be spring waste next year and so forth. But it's like training a team of young lads. You, every night you need to get to senior age. You have to go back to the basics every night for a quarter of an hour, how to rise the ball, how to strike the ball, and do all those things. It's the same way with litter. When you do the green flags, go back to the basics about clean as you go. And if you're going to work in an environment, going to a pharmaceutical company or any sterile environment, that the first sign you see 
clean as you go. And that's what we, we need to, to install and everybody, just clean as you go. I made this point yesterday and I'd like to put it to you as well because I know that you along with a team of fantastic people there have been looking after care and now it's very attractive to film companies and all sorts of stuff. But do you get all very frustrated when you clean up and literally as you go away it's being littered again? How frustrating is that? Yes, we'd go down along the, the car park there and, and they could some few lads pull in there after going to the chipper and they'd fire them straight out to the floor and the bin is 20 yards ahead of them. It does get frustrating, but we just have the mentality inside, I suppose, that we said from day one when we were going at this. Somebody had told me, you can, you, after 20 years, you might see success. And, and it, you kind of just have to tell the lads, look, it, it will happen. And once you know it, it's going to happen, you'll go down the street, you'll pick up, you'll go back up along, it'll be just the same as you passed through. And care is no different than any other town. It's just a way of a body of, 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 of men and women out at the moment and that's, you know, why it keeps them out early, they're out late and there's a road there. So, like, care is no different than, say, to any other towns again, that it might look clean because we want to keep it clean, we want to keep it tracked. Right, people. but it takes a lot of work to maintain that. It does, yeah, yeah. And and, 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 like, and, and I think, like, and people in the main are sick more and more. There's always going to be an element that there won't switch on. And, like, you'll be hoping that next month is National uh, Spring Clean on Antashka and, and many individuals can register with Antashka and get their roller bags and their gloves and do a little bit in their own area. And when they have the bag collected, that the, the council will collect it and bring it off. But that's for the month of April. And they should register online at Antasha and get their pack and maybe encourage. And I think it's like everything is, if more people see people that are tidying up and cleaning up, and, and if a place is clean, people like to keep it clean and they're, they're slower to throw something out on the ground then. Yeah, um, I was talking to Bernie Goldback there earlier on. I'm not sure if you heard it, but uh, you know where, where antisocial behaviour is concerned and maybe thinking outside the box for these things and maybe approaching things in a different way. Is, is there anything that you think could be put in place that would help with this uh, littering? I mean, for instance, getting money back on the cans and bottles, that that would be a good start, would it not? Well, look, we have we in care, we have our, our can collection every first Saturday of the month anyway, and we work with ABP Foods there, and they recycle the cans for us. Now, last year we collected three tonne of aluminium uh, drinks cans, and the, they do the, the squashing and the, the recycling for us. We got like a rebate then of last year the three two point eight five tonne was worth fifteen hundred twenty five, and ABP brought it up to two thousand for us. So we've a target this year of four tonne, but it's going to be hard to achieve a four tonne collection in a, a small area, but. That, that, that's an awful lot of cans, you know. If you, if you put three ton of aluminium cans in a heap, it's a lot of cans. And, so I don't. And know. are they cans that were discarded? These would have people would have stored them. Like, I can bought them onto. Oh, okay, all right, okay. They, they right. come up on the side of the road. They wash them out and they, they keep them farmers and things that way. But it, it, that's, that's you know, those people are converted. It's the ones that are not doing that is what we need to get out. But that's what and I'm right. saying. But by by getting some form of remuneration by bringing back a can or bottle now. Would would make it attractive to to people to do that. Um, I'm not sure when that's going to be introduced, though, Andy. Yeah, but we thought that when petrol would go to two liters, uh, uh, two pound two euros a liter, that to stop people driving, it doesn't. Right. Now, okay. The people that are recycling at the moment are the ones that would probably switch from what we're doing to the supermarket to, to get the okay. rebates. Right. You know, but the ones that are thrown out the window will continue to turn out the window. Can I ask you about antisocial behaviour because we were speaking about it in Clonmel yesterday and indeed today as well. Have you issues like that around the care area? Uh, there would be always issues like you know, and you, you just have to try and work with the GRD and try and identify there are issues in that. But look, care in, in, as a whole is a grand community town. There's still a sense of community and a sense of pride in it. And while you will, like, there's no community without antisocial behaviour. I think that we're not so bad in, in the care area. You know, there will always be an element, but at the same time, 
you know, most it's a community, a rural town, it's a community town, and, and hopefully that look the the sense of pride in the town will last for longer, you know, a little bit longer. But it is starting to creep in, and I find it even in our own game there in the council, like it's gone more demanding, and there's more of a sense of entitlement and a more demanding in, within the council role. So, like from that end of it, I you know, it's, it's always it's on the increase, no doubt. All right. Andy, good to talk to you today. Thanks very much indeed. Councillor Andy Maloney there uh, speaking to us from Kerry this morning. 1800 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good Pats and you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. We still have uh, those tickets to give away to the Marty Party that's happening uh, tomorrow night at University Concert Hall in Limerick. And those tickets based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. Just put Marty Party at the end of your contribution. One of our listeners saying, if I bring back six cans, do I have to buy another six cans in order to claim the rebate? My understanding of that is no. Uh, that's not the case. There will be designated places. Now, this is just my understanding of this. There will be designated places that you can, uh, shops or whatever, who buy into this, that you can bring back your your cans or your bottles and they don't even have to have been purchased you know, on that particular premises. Now, that's just my, my understanding of it. Somebody else saying, I just witnessed a man use... Uh, the bag to pick up dog poo and walk 60 metres or so to deposit it in the refuse bin outside of the superstore on Friar Street in Thurles. Um, also, uh, let me see, I got a photograph in here actually from, from Noel Buckley. Uh, Noel's a regular contributor to the show, community activist and all of that. He sent me a picture of Moores Road, Marlfield outside of Clanmel. And it's a picture of what looks to me like discarded wood or discarded furniture of some kind, but just flung on the side of the road. Now, that's another beautiful area. And um, it says every week we have somebody who dumps a bag of domestic waste on this particular road as well. So it seems to be... Uh, happening right around uh, the county for sure. Uh, I was in Cashel yesterday, Fran, outside of a shop when two young women came out with two bunches of flowers. One of them uh, proceeded to pull off the nice plastic wrapping and just let it fall on the footpath. Uh, she just didn't care. And that comes in from James, who's uh, tuned our way this morning as well. 83 Now, there's been a positive development for Nina Hospital. Uh, a tip today is breaking the news this morning that the UL Hospitals Group has applied to the HSE for €5.2 million euro in funding to expand opening hours at the Medical Assessment Unit at Nina Hospital and St John's Hospital in Limerick. Joining me now is Dr Connor Reedy and Tanya uh, DeVito from the Nina Needs Its A&E organisation. Of course, they're also part of the Midwest Hospital uh, Group um, campaign. Um, first of all, can I go to you, Connor, uh, on this? Um, before we talk about the funding and that, can I ask you just how that um, notion is going so far of patients um, being... Uh, by, decided by the paramedi- paramedics indeed to be sent to a hospital like Nina or Ennis. What is the story there? Has that worked so far, Connor? 
Morning, Fran. Um, essentially, we don't know for sure because we don't have numbers on that. But I will say, based on the trolley numbers at UHL right now, which are still extremely high, they're in the 70s and 80s all the time uh, at the, the last week or so, it would suggest it's not having a massive effect just yet. That's, that's to be honest, it's... It's unfortunate that it is that way. Now, we are told by a paramedic source that the hoops that paramedics have to go through to get a patient ambulanced into one of the MAUs, Nina or Ennis, are absolutely enormous. Is that because of the criteria around that decision, Connor? Yes, apparently so. The MAUs are going to be limited in what they can accept and who they can accept. Anyway, they can only accept minor emergency type cases. Um, that, the that's MAU is the medical assessment. Medical, unit. sorry, yes, mm, the medical yeah. assessment unit that that some listeners may be familiar with because GPs have been able to send patients to medical assessment units for many years anyway. Mm. But what most GPs will tell you is that it's next to impossible at the best of times to get your to get one of their patients in there because they're always filled up. Now we're told that in Nina, and this is this is not confirmed, but we are told that there are two MAU beds available for ambulance uh, for receiving ambulance cases at any time. So they'll fill up very quickly. Now, um, so that's very right. very limited. Uh, will you just remind the listeners? I mean, the paramedic when they pick up the patient, if the patient is stable and if it meets a certain criteria. Um, that they can be treated in a Model 2 hospital, then they have to make a phone call. Is that it? To... Well, essentially, yes. The National Ambulance Service uh, in the Midwest has, has bought into this plan whereby they've been given criteria, as you say, that and paramedics will be able to make it, will, will make their judgment on the roadside or at the bedside or wherever they meet a patient with their ambulance and they'll they'll say, okay, this looks like it might, this person looks like they might fit the criteria for Nina or Ennis Medical Assessment Unit rather than go to UHL. So that this is called the pathway scheme. However, they then have to contact, you know, clinical people inside Nina Hospital or Ennis Hospital and... Almost from what we're hearing, it's a negotiation. Yes. But there are a lot of hoops, we're told, that the paramedics have to uh, jump through in order to make that, in order in order to right. essentially persuade a hospital that this is uh, a suitable patient. Right. Um, so, so, so far you're saying to me, Conor, that you haven't seen evidence that this is working properly. We haven't seen evidence yeah. that this is working. And, we, you know, the idea itself has potential, but it goes back to what we said face-to-face uh, with Leo Varadkar in February in the meeting in Limerick, yes. that these these uh, units need to be up-resourced in order to uh, in order of for this course. to work. And, and again, I'm reminding listeners that there were rather mixed messages from Leo Varadkar um, that day, d- d- yeah. during that time there, for sure. Yeah. Tanya, um, can I ask you about uh, this as well? Because the Taoiseach did commit to upgrading in a hospital, but he wouldn't commit, of course, to reinstating A&E. Um, are you hopeful now that this funding that we're talking about now um, might result in something very positive? Do we have Tanya? Okay. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, now I can hear yes. you, Tanya. Sorry, <laughs> the, the phones are being messed with here. I beg your pardon. No, no, you're fine. So, so um, yes, Tanya. So this, so this 5.2 million, I mean, when we heard this yesterday, we thought, 
this is fantastic news. But it is fantastic news if you have the consultants and the doctors and all of that. So this money is going to help resource the MAUs. But we don't have enough doctors, we don't have enough consultants, and we need them to make the MAUs run properly. You need doctors and you need the, the, the extra staff. So on paper, it looks fantastic, and we were all delighted. And it's, it is, it's a step forward, Connor will tell you. This is another step forward, but it's, we're not there yet. Right. Now, it is just an application for this money. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, okay. yeah. The bid is done, yeah. Right, and it's for 5.2 million. And we're yeah. talking about what here exactly, Tanya? Are we talking about opening hours, for example? We're to- well, we're talking to hopefully, hopefully, with if everything goes well, they're talking about opening the MAUs up to, to seven days a week. Now, at the moment, we're aware that um, the Nina MAU takes no one after four o'clock from, from that's from our paramedic um I won't say more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so after four o'clock. So then the the, the other pathway then to UHL that that switches straight away. So after four o'clock, you're going into UHL. So, but but, but that in itself is so limiting, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of said like the beds are limited in, the, in Nina, as we spoke to you before about. There's twelve beds. Two of them are kept aside for GVT. Uh, doctors booking in patients. So I know one doctor that was booking in a patient and he told me this personally, it was nearly a week for him to get a patient in. So it's it's hard to get in, it's hard to get patients in and we need the consultants and the doctors and all. Of but look, it is positive. We're very positive about it. We need to just wait and see what happens now and the, see what happens. Right. Connor, where did the figure of 5.2 million come from? I mean, what... What is that going to address? How how was that worked up? Well, the figure was applied for, was uh, constructed and devised by the UL Hospitals Group, um, presumably in consultation with the Department of Health and HSE. Now, how the allocation is believed to that it will address shortfalls at Nina and Ennis and St. John's Medical Assessment Units with a view to getting seven-day-a-week opening in those hospitals. So we presume one of the biggest challenges they will have is obviously finding nurses Mm. and finding nursing staff to work those. Also, as Tanya says, doctors and consultants in order to, um, again, meet the demands. But And that's a big ask. So that's we presume the money is going into staffing for primarily um these these ma units these medical assessment units are very lim- limited anyway in what they do they're they're brilliant units by the way anyone mm. who's ever been through mm. one will tell you like you know that they they are the bee's knees in terms of when you can get into them I when suppose. you can get yeah. into them but yeah. the accessibility and this was something that i i was in the room at the meeting with leo varadkar and, and i was the one put it to him directly this plan will fail unless you up resource the medical assessment unit. So we presume this is an effort to address that. And the, the biggest the biggest demand in terms of addressing it is going to be staffing it because we have seen, for instance, how 
local injury unit in Nina has even recently, as we spoke before mm. uh, last week or the week before, uh, local injury unit, which is the, the step down A and E, if you like, the the, the lesser A and E. Yeah. Um, they can they have closed randomly throughout the last right. good few months throughout uh, the last that's year staffing, because of a I lack guess. of staff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this this is always going to be the big issue, and um, the plan will not work. It, yes, it's welcome. We mm. welcome it. We welcome anything. It's a green shoot, but it's a very pale green shoot, is how I would describe it. And it, it needs, yeah, 5.2 million would seem like a drop in the ocean. Mm. Um, but we'd also say, like, there were, for instance, why now? Why now? We knew all winter long that this was going to be a yeah. bad situation yeah. here in the Midwest. There were no extra beds for the Midwest in the famous HSC winter plan. So um, we're, we really are closing the stable door after the horse is bolted here, even though we welcome it. But it's it's all very delayed and very late. And I was also reading that mm-hmm. the support, Connor, to roll out the pathway in Nina Hospital, a, a slight increase in nursing resources, 0.5 WG. Mm. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. That's very really? poor. It's very, very poor. And this is this is what we're seeing. Um, it, it again goes back to the, the famous mixed message meeting with Leo Varadkar where you almost feel like they're throwing us some crumbs yeah. uh, to, 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 to the campaign um, and to the people of the Midwest that this is kind of what we want to hear and if we see any sort of increases, we'll be happy and we'll lie down and we'll go away. But, you know, we brought 11,000 people on the streets, Fran. We sent a petition in of, of 15,000 signatures. Um, there's a lot of anger out there. And people are getting, I would say, exhausted with being angry about this because it's going on for so, so long. And you've done 10, 12, 13 years of this. Um, it's ridiculous. So 0.5 of an increase in nursing staff, um, whatever that, that, that does account to, is very, very little. Uh, you you need serious up resourcing on this one. It it can work. The pathway plan has potential to take some pressure off. Um, right, but it needs UHL. investment. Um, it needs investment, and it it goes back to, you know, it goes back to two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, and and a decision was made to continue with the shutdown of UHL, Ennis, and St John emergency departments without having Limerick ready, mm. and they mm-hmm. blamed. The financial crisis at the time, but I mean, these nobody hit the pause button on the closures. Even when the financial crisis, when it was known that the the, the, the Great Recession was kind of uh, going to put a kibosh on expanding UHL at the time. Tanya, when are you hoping to hear about this five point two million? Um, <laughs> When are we hoping to hear yes. from Yes, you, you laugh at me about that. And, and I don't mean to laugh. Yes. I'm just, like, we see things like this every day. Yeah, I, I mean, we've no idea how long this is going to take. This is just a bid gone in. This yeah, it's is an application, in. isn't it? It's That's an application, right. yeah. It's an application from U, UL Hospital Group. So this mightn't even go ahead. And as Connor said, it, to us, it is like, well, here's a little crumb now, and that'll keep you full. And then in another month, we're going to give you a small slice, and we'll see how you go. So I, we don't have an answer about what this needs. As Connor said, it needs to happen like in the summer. We've 90 people yesterday on Charlie's in UHL, eight people on Ennis. And the numbers are in their 80s, their 70s. There was 102 people on the 2nd of March. It's not getting better. It's not going away. And resources need 
to be brought yeah. in straight away. So essentially, Connor, reason. are we just tinkering at the edges of this really again? Uh, I told Leo Varadkar to his face, unleash your inner Dr. Noel Brown <laughs> and your inner Dr. T.K. Whitaker <laughs> and show some serious cojones in terms of a big, brave, courageous plan. Yes. I do feel we're tinker, tinkering around the edges. I really do. Because one thing they're not telling us in this, in, the, in our reading of the documents we've seen, um, is that, that none of this is necessarily permanent, by the way. Mm. Nobody is saying that this, this this pathway plan to the MAUs with the ambulances to MAU, nobody is saying that that's a, a permanent thing. Mm. Nobody's saying how long this is of going course, to last. Yeah, so uh, we're still waiting for the centre of excellence, by the way, to be turned into a centre of excellence, because that's where their answers lie. All mm. the consultants, all the experts who told us that Nina and Ennis weren't safe, they, they put all their eggs in the centre of excellence basket, but yet we're seeing nothing, nothing. We were promises of 96 bed units in two years' time, maybe, if the, the moon is on the right side of the earth. And, you know, but we're not, we're not really... We're seeing no course, big plan yes. to upscale and, and new, plus new the, What would trouble me, the application for 5.2 million as well, which in, in HSE terms, this literally is pocket change. I mean, it really... But, I mean, it would have to be on an ongoing basis. That would have to be an annual payment, mm. I guess, would it not? It would, co- it would surely come out of the, the annual health budget. And, I mean, if you're looking at 5.2 million... And what are they saying about Robert Watt's uh, salary? On Two, the... 297000 or something. But it's going to be frozen. I hope frozen. you're suitably sorry for him, are you? You know, I, I, I just hope it doesn't affect his, his budget, his household budget too much, because that would worry me. That would bother me, Fran, yeah. you know, that, that he doesn't yeah. get the, all the caviar he needs, at, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's, champagne. It's, it's, it's crazy, um, isn't it, yeah. But it, it is crazy money. But that, when you think about that one salary alone, mm. that accounts, I'm not a mathematician, but a nice little uh, percentage of 5.2 million right there. You know what I mean? So the, the top heavy, as the new, as Bernard Gloucester, the new head of the HSE, has said it is a top-heavy organisation at the top in terms mm. of management and bureaucracy. And we've been saying this forever. Everyone has been saying this forever. Will, will you both stay with me for a moment? Because I'm glad to be joined now yeah. by Louise Morgan Walsh, of course. Louise is a nurse with a very valuable experience indeed. Louise, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Um, you have some information for us where the criteria is concerned necessary to get p- patients into Nina Hospital. Louise, what's the story at the moment? Well, it's just that, you know, criteria is very tight for patients coming in via ambulance because we don't have the specialist areas for them to be treated. So, like, if you're coming in, just say, cardiac, or if you're coming in, okay, you can come in DVT or a blood clot or anything because there's two beds kept aside for patients every day for DVT. Then you have two to three beds for ambulances. Now, as far as I know, since the ambulance service has started bringing patients to Nina, there's only been about one to two patients so far because they're outside of the criteria. One to two patients in in its entirety? Yeah, since it has started. Yeah. To see, the thing is, Fern, if you're coming into Nina, you have to have the service for those patients to fully diagnose them. CT scans in Nina and scans, they only run till four o'clock every day. The labs are gone at four, about four or five o'clock a day. That's Monday to Friday. Would you really want to come into Nina if you're very unwell and not have the service to fully diagnose and treat you? I know I certainly wouldn't. That's the part that people, I suppose, really need to know that if you're get, if you're 
think that you can get an ambulance to Nina like that. Unfortunately, that's not the case. You know how shocking this is for a lot of people to hear, Louise? Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, since I heard the ambulances coming from the start, I actually had a pain in my stomach because the way it was portrayed out there is that anyone can get an ambulance to Nina now that they're taking patients to right. Nina. But that's not the case, of course. That's not the case. We just don't have the service. There's right. no diagnostics after four o'clock. There's no labs. At the weekend, there's no labs. So they're taking about six patients at the weekend to MAU on a Saturday and Sunday, which is fantastic because a lot of people can get um, blood work done, get seen by a doctor and may go home. Yes. But for those patients then that need to be admitted, obviously we have to find a bed and beds are very scarce at the moment. But if they're waiting a scan or anything like that, they have to wait until the service resumes on Monday. And support of the rollout to Nina Hospital and uh, increase in resources. Have you seen any increase in resources? Um, person- personally, I haven't. No, None. I have not. None at all. So yes, we're being promised the sun, moon and stars and we just have not seen right. it Have yet. you seen an extra nurse, for example? No. There's no nurses to be got in the country, Fran. I mean, we're still running a service where if there's a nurse out sick, we have to run that service without that nurse. We just don't have a reserve. They're not there. Now, management are fantastic. They will help us out. They'll try and see if they can get a nurse from another area to come and help and all that. But it's it's just like, who wants to go into nursing now either? I know. and we. Yeah. I was reading today with the CAO, there's a drop right, in people yeah. interested in, in, in medicine. At yeah. all. Connor, are you surprised at all at what Louise is saying to us there? Absolutely. Good morning, Louise. Yeah. Um, lovely Good morning, to hear from Connor. Um, I mean, look, what, what you say, it, that figure yeah. on the ambulance pathway is, is yeah. um, something we hadn't been able to, and that's find out, and that's really, really shocking. Yeah. And what Louise says there is, it just highlights everything um, we've yeah. been saying about the about the lot of what it is to be a nurse in this country in in yeah. the current environment of how our hospitals are resourced. Um, people do not go to college. I I went to college. I taught in college. I saw nurses. I had nursing student friends when I was in mm-hmm. college, and I I saw what they went through and what they studied to go into a profession they love. But nobody. And, and and I did say this again, we, we said it at the meeting with Leo Varadkar, by the way, treat treat our medical professionals the way they deserve to be treated because yes. for them the, gra- the grass is greener elsewhere and that's why they're leaving. And um, it's it's really, uh, so everything Louise I, has said there, like you go over, you go into Nina Hospital and you walk around it, you even no, walk yeah. around the exterior but, and you'll see what an amazing campus that course. hospital is. But, but Connor, that, that is giving you clarification literally from yeah. the ground this Absolutely morning. Absolutely, invaluable clarification. And you needed, you needed that, did you And not? we need that because this is, this is what we've been saying all the time about, you know, build, build up what we've got in our own town. You know, build, build up, get those diagnostics that Louise is talking about because they're invaluable mm-hmm. to us. Yes. Get those things in place. Tanya, Even, can I bring you in on this as well? Yeah, is, is that a complete surprise to you to hear that detail from Louise this morning? Uh, it's, you know what? It's, morning, Louise. It's actually it's very okay. shocking to hear, to finally hear something um, about right. that. Now, and, we, and, and what we, does it say about what Leo Radkar told you on that fateful day? What what does it say about that? Well, he, he, what he actually did say was, we're, we're not reopening, but we can reinvest. So he uh-huh. didn't actually say we're going to reopen, we can yeah. reinvest and resource. Yeah. And that's what's needed. 
that's what made it. We're under no illusions here that people can go over to, to A&E and, and, yeah, and just be treated like they can treat in UHL because of all, as Louise said, the diagnostics and, and bloods and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But we do need we have to have we have to have the resources in the MAUs, not just mm-hmm. in Nina, in Ennis and St John's as well, and that will alleviate the pressures. Well, that Louise, can I finally put it to you? That application yeah. to the HSE for five point two million by the hospitals mm-hmm. group, um, like would that only be a drop in the the ocean? I mean, they're talking about you know extra resources. In other words, other nurses and doctors and an expansion of opening hours. But I mean, that would yeah. only be a drop in the ocean, Louise, would it not? A drop in the ocean because mm. what you need then, Fran, is extra beds. Like beds are like gold dust. You know, I mean, our beds inside in the hospital are full all the time. Right, and when but you like say that. a bed, you're talking about the physical bed, but you're also talking about the nursing and the looking after that's required for oh a bed, God. isn't that it? Yeah. And go on to the HSE website and have a little look at the jobs. You will see the amount of jobs within the UHL group that they're trying to recruit people for. They're just not there. Like, to be fair, when you think only for those Indian nurses, they're fantastic. They're like, I'd say, three quarters of the staff that we have within the whole UHL group. Like, what would we do if we didn't have them? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just anybody going into nursing now as well, just from my own experience, like I'm 20 years qualified now, which I can't believe. (laughs) But, um, like, since I started nursing, oh, my God, things have changed. Like, I worked in Nina Hospital when we had full services. When we had an A&E and everything, I I started in 2004 as a nurse in Nina. We had full services back then. We were full throttle. Things are very different now very different um the amount of just say irish nurses they're just not there they have all left the country and i think there needs to be a massive recruitment drive paying conditions and to mind the carers because they're not seen in our country all right well i must leave they're it there, there but but thank you all for for talking to me this morning to uh, kind of really to tenure DeVito and of course to louise morgan Walsh as well. I like i know i don't actually um say much or whatever at times because it's very hard when I'm working I obviously can't come on the radio of course of course they are doing a fantastic job Tanya and Connor and thank you Louise doing a fantastic (laughs) job out there trying to get funds for what the people in Nina deserve but we have we have huge respect for the, the nursing staff in Nina and, and all the medical staff right. there, Louise, as well. And I'm glad you're making that point, Connor, because yeah. any, any discussion yeah. that we have is not a critique of the existing no, staff never, in these places never. who are, are, yeah, are, all our are marvellous. Have been through it, yeah. Connor, just, just really briefly, if you would, will you take to the streets again? Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we will. We will, uh, you know, um, we, 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 we have several threads, several avenues of campaigning um, that we try to, we try to um, keep moving at all times. And, and we go through uh, politicians, yeah. we go through officials, we go through uh, eruptus. Um, and yes, further protests will definitely not be ruled out. Oh. And um, can I finally, I know you're in a hurry, um, one of the things that we do, we have tried to do, Louise was right on something, a lot of when the medical pathway, the, the ambulance pathway initiative opened up and some people um, got it into their heads that this was a reopening of ED yeah. and we had to work so hard to tell people, no, it's, it's not. not. Yeah, yeah, and that's very important and we keep, mm. um, so uh, that's an important right. message and I'm glad Louise brought it up that All we right. have to keep mentioning that. Thanks, thanks very thanks much Louise indeed. For coming on. So yeah, thanks to, to Louise and uh, to Tanya.
uh, and indeed to uh, Dr. Connor Reedy there as well. 1800 The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Of course, what was made reference to there during the conversation is the news from the Irish Indo today that, uh, you know, there's a big cooling off in the points race for uh, medicine courses, and that's to include nursing and uh, doctors as well. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecone, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Fran, you should go to the old coal mines in Grange and Ballangarry. Lorry loads of illegal dumping and uh, the result of that is leakage into the river streams there as well. So, you know, for fear you might think that we're pointing at any particular town or area. Uh, litter seems to be an issue right around the Premier County, indeed right around um the country as well. Listener says, Leo Radcar belittled young people in nursing during the pandemic with his 50 euro. How dare he? Well, I know that some some uh, medical professions are still waiting on that 1,000 euro, as far as I know, as well. So if you're in that bracket, you might want to uh, make contact with us on uh, 083 311 It's time now to speak about farming and glad to be joined by Katrina Morrissey, who is news editor with the Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, Katrina. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today. Uh, Katrina, before I go on with, with our list of uh, topics today, can I just ask you a little bit, because I remember it came up recently as well, about farmers and littering and, you know, farm uh, farms being used for people to dump on as well. Is, is that a very big issue, Katrina? Do you know what? It, it kind of rears its head every so often, Fran, and when we do cover it, you you get tons of farmers getting in touch. I thought... Yeah. Farmers have land down, you know, small roadways, laneways. And sometimes we've had cases where a farmer arrives to a field, maybe away from the home farm or whatever, and they could find an entire van load or truckload of rubbish dumped. We had one farmer get in touch with us a few years ago at this stage who had an entire truckload of builder's rubble dumped in a gateway. Good God. Yeah, and because then it's on their property, they become responsible for it. So they have to bear the cost then of disposing of it properly. So, yeah, I think the yeah, what, what we have found and what we've reported in the past is you need to make sure that the man with the van is legitimately getting rid of waste because there are unscrupulous people operating those services. They're completely legitimate services as well. But you have to be sure of, of who you're paying. If you do pay for a service like that, right. to come and take away rubbish to make sure that they're legitimate and it's it's going to be um, brought to a proper waste disposal um, unit or whatever. Well, I, I, I'm glad you could answer that for me today because we were speaking to a gentleman on the phone yesterday and he was telling us about farmlands in the uh, horse and jockey area where, just as you described there, I mean, stuff is just dumped by unscrupulous uh, actors yeah. and it's it's dreadful. Um, let us go on, Katrina. Sharp fall in the value of entitlements under the new cap. That's fueling some issues, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So, so for some of your listeners who may or may not know, an entitlement is an amount of money that is linked to a hectare of land for farmers mm. to get a support payment. 
Um, and there's a very big change in this current, the new Common Agricultural Policy, which starts this year, where the entitlement value now is divvied up into different parts. So what's happening is an entitlement, let's say for simplicity's sake, is worth €100. Euro. That's now been divided into 25% of that is going to eco-schemes, 10% is going to a front-loading scheme, which is there to, for smaller farmers. 3% of, going, of that is going to fund a young farmer scheme. What it basically means is that the, the base, the kind of core value of the entitlement is coming back now to the basic income support for sustainability, big long term. Mm. It's the new BPS for anybody who's familiar with yes. it. It's the new basic payment. So what's happening is there, there had in the last 10 years or so, there'd actually been a trade in entitlements. So in order to, um, to draw down the money that is on your entitlement, you have to have a hectare of land to go with it. You have to comply with all the rules to go with farming. Um, but there was also trade. So there would be people, for example, who don't farm actively themselves. They might lease out the land mm. and they would also lease out the entitlement. Um, but that's not as of, attractive now, is it? It's not as attractive because the entitlement now doesn't, as I say, it's divided up into all of those parts and they're not necessarily linked to the entitlement itself now. So the farmer who is actively farming the land will get the eco-scheme payment. It's not linked to the entitlement. So what it means is the, the, the core value has fallen, um, fallen by as much as 45% this year, which is a huge cut. Wow. Um, and obviously that has affected the trading value as well. So um, generally you're talking about two, two and a half times the value of the entitlement would be the sale value. And at the same time, you have the Department of Agriculture. There is a two-year amnesty for anybody who wants to sell their entitlement instead of leasing it out, which means that there isn't a loss in value as well on that side. So to put it long and short, the entitlement values are falling. Some people are saying they're actually more hassle than they're worth. Mm. I think I will sell them and I won't get that 20%. It's not a tax, but I'm going to call it a tax mm. for this, yeah. you know, the purpose of describing it. There's a two-year window and we're seeing auctioneers are reporting and Darren Carthy, our schemes editor, um, this week, you know, he's seen that there's a lot more demand to sell the entitlements this year. Right, and it's well worth reading that article just to get your head around that because depending on where you're coming from, that it's, it's rather complex, Katrina, isn't it? It is, and actually yeah. one of the areas, and it is complex, but it's, it's quite easy to understand. So there are... There are lease agreements between landowners and active farmers that say, I'm going to lease your 100 acres and you're going to give me the value of the entitlement. Mm. Let's say it was €4,000. And that lease now is going to cause a problem for the farmer who is leasing in the land because they have signed something that says, I'm going to give you €4,000, but the value of the entitlement is actually not €4,000 anymore. So they're going to have to look at those legal, you know, those those contracts and be sure that both the landowner who's leasing out and the farmer who's leasing in, that it's very clear that this entitlement is not worth what it used to be now. And they need to come to an agreement then as to whether it will be the lump sum or the, the new value of the entitlement. Oh, so right. it's yeah. a funny one that we wouldn't have predicted, you know, kind of five years ago. And, and a lot of these leases are, you know, five to seven, ten year yeah, leases. Of course, yeah. Um, so there, I think there will be a lot of people going back to look at the black and white of their contract. There's a new cow quota for dairy farmers in Thames. What, what is that based on? 
Mm, this is a shock to young farmers. Yeah. Um, Amy Ford picked up this exclusive yesterday. So the TAMS grant, as you know, is the um, the kind of grant aid for farm development. Yeah. Uh, it can be equipment, it can be sheds, it could be roadways. There's a lot of, of items, there's hundreds of items on the list where farmers can get a portion of the work grant aided. One of the terms and conditions we've just found out is for a young farmer who's applying to the Young Farmer Capital Investment Scheme, if they have between 121 and 160 cows, they are signing up, if they draw down that money, they are signing up to say they will not go any higher in their cow numbers for five years after they receive the money. Wow. So this is the first time we've kind of seen what I would call a blatant quota um, being introduced by the department since 2015 when Ireland's milk quotas were abolished. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, but I mean, that is the object of the government at the moment, isn't it? To either curtail or cut back on the herd. That's right. And, and they're doing it in so many different ways. This is a very blatant, I would say, um, cow quota being imposed on those young dairy farmers. It's slightly at odds with what the Department of Agriculture and Europe is telling yeah. farmers that they want to do, which is to support young farmers. And let's remember, I suppose, you know, dairy is the sector that is most likely to return a viable income to any young farmer. And what is Charlie McConnellogue saying about this, Katrina? Charlie McConnellogue let this uh, kind of leak out or slip out. He dropped it into a parliamentary question to TD Cahill Crow this week. I was actually Mocker the Farmer highlighted it to us. Um, I think he will take quite a lot of heat from young farmers on this over the next couple of days um, because... They will, like young farmers now, will do one of two things. They will say, right, okay, I, I'm at that number of cows and I'm happy to stay at that number of cows and they will draw down the grant aid. Or they will say, I don't want to be kind of dictated to for five years in terms of cow numbers, so I'm actually not going to go for that great grant aid at all. So it's a funny one because... Right, but is, is the grant aid substantial enough to make it difficult to turn it down, though, Katrina? Oh, well, it's big, friend. Like, it's 40%. Is it? Okay. So, you right. know, let's say there's you know, 10,000 euros worth of milking equipment. Yeah. 4,000 of that okay, is so in the grant. So it is substantial, yeah. All right, change of salt to the new suckler scheme as well. What's happening there? Yeah, so this is another scheme. It's for it's called the Suckler Carbon Efficiency Programme. Uh, it is a follow-on from a previous programme called the Beef Data and Genomics Programme. It's aimed at encouraging beef farmers to keep suckler cows that are more efficient. And by more efficient, I mean that produce... Mm. Bigger calves, stronger calves, faster growing calves, cows that will go in calf easier, you know, that you don't have a cow that's empty, not in calf for a year because that's a very inefficient system. And one of the changes that they're looking for, sorry, one of the requirements of this scheme and that is that a farmer who applies has to have 80% of his or her calves born that are sired by four and five star bulls in the first year of the programme. And some of the farm organisations are saying, you know, that's that's pretty um, draconian for year one because we knew nothing about this yes, scheme two years yeah. ago. Um, so we couldn't have picked the bull that you want in time to have her calving down this year. Um, so they're looking for changes because effectively um, what the farm organisations are saying is that there's a potential for farmers to go into this scheme and lose all of the money from it in year one if they don't have the right calves born. Um, lose all of the money? Lose all of the money for year one. Yeah, 
yeah, because they wouldn't have the, the right calves course, being born. Yeah. yeah. And where, where does the Board B Equality Assurance come into this? Yeah, so this is the condition of the scheme as well and has been, uh, I suppose, causing a bit of anger among suckler farmers because most suckler, sorry, a, a large majority of suckler farmers would sell their calves as weanlings. They're not getting any benefit from quality assurance scheme membership because they're not if they are not selling those cattle direct to the factory, which is where you get the bonus on right. beef price. Suckler farmers are the main people going into this scheme, um, so they're not getting the benefit of the quality assurance linked bonus payment down the line. So they're saying, you know, we have to jump through a lot of hoops. We'll have to have farm inspections on quality assurance, which is a higher standard than your normal farming standard. All farmers are open to inspection. But the board B equality assurance is a is a higher level of um, I suppose farm production efficiency mm. you know all of those things so uh, disgruntlement there among soccer farmers on that side. Could I finally ask you uh, about that debate that's going on about top quality tillage land being used for for solar solar farms, Katrina? What's what's happening there? Yeah, that's right. So. Um, the Irish Grain Growers Chair Bobby Miller spoke to Siobhan Walsh this year, this week, and he was making the point that um, we have really top-class land mm. uh, in the south and east, which is where most of the solar farms are either in planning or going to go for planning. And his point is, if we're a food-producing nation, should we really be covering the best of land, whether you know, it's tillage-quality land or dairy-quality land, um, should be really taking up hundreds of acres in some cases um, with solar panels. And don't get me wrong, you can put sheep on the solar farm on, under a solar farm. It can be grazed by sheep, but this land is typically not used by sheep farmers. It's typically tillage, dairy, and you know intensive beef production. And he was pointing out that over in Britain, they have a land use program that says you shouldn't be putting solar farms on grade one land yeah. down as far as grade 3A and grade 1 in the British system is the best quality land and 3A is, is still very good quality land with minor restrictions. Um, so he's wondering should we be doing that and it's a point that our editor Jack Kennedy has brought up as well. You know, well, of course, we need to think a little bit. The results of uh, recent times particularly with the Ukraine I suppose that we should be more self-sufficient in what we're growing I suppose Katrina. Exactly well. and, and this is part of another pressure, I suppose solar farms is another pressure that's on tillage farms at the minute, tillage land, access to land for tillage farmers. I think we spoke about it last week where, um, you know, tillage farmers are finding it very hard to compete with dairy farmers to rent land because of the income disparity between the two. Again, our Climate Action Plan has said we should have more tillage, but yet all of the pressures, they're actually pushing tillage down. So solar farms is one of those pressures. It's, it's interesting. Before I let you go, can I just put a point to you? Joe was onto us and he says everything is twice the price to buy when you get a grant. The shed is way dear. The yes. Stone is twice the price because it has to be, I presume, Katrina, to the grant spec. Is that what That's it is? Right. Is, yeah. is that a valid comment? It's a valid comment and some farmers will weigh up the decision and say, you know, I can get... It depends on, obviously, the type of work that's yes. been done. Um but yes, grant specifications will usually be at the upper end of the quality scale. So it'll be, you know, 30 newton concrete. It will be the, the best, strongest steel yes. and things like that. So some farmers will weigh it up and say, actually, between the paperwork that I'd have to do with it and the increase in cost by, by going to the grant spec, I'm, I'm actually this happier to take 
a slightly lower grade of material and pocket the savings. So right. that's, that's a decision that each farmer does themselves. Katrina, always a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you and good morning to you. Thanks, Katrina Morrissey there, news editor of the Farmer's Journal and it's on your shelves right now. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, Call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip Today, 1800 The Marty Party coming to Limerick for the first time uh, at the University Concert Hall there. We have two tickets to give away. It's based on you interacting with us by text and WhatsApp 083 311 Councillor Andy Maloney speaking to us there about um, drivers peeing in bottles and flinging the bottles out the window. One of our listeners making a very good point, though, that there's little facilities for lorry drivers along the roads. And I would agree with you, there's a brand new road, which is a fantastic road, from Limerick all the way up uh, past Gort, up towards uh, Clare Morris there. There is not one outlet on that road. There is no garage, there's no shop, there's no coffee place, nothing. You have to completely turn off uh, the motorway if you want to do so. I can't figure it out myself, but there you are. Anyway, it's time for our weekly health slot. The CEO of Morito 8020, Muriel Cuddy, is with me. You see, we're talking about urine and pee before I introduce you. That's kind of unfair, isn't it, Muriel? Well, not, it wasn't news to me, to be honest. I've seen that. Well, I'm, I suppose you? I have, yeah, the lorries and that world is in my background or whatever. So right. when they're under pressure, what do you do? When you can't stop, what do you do? So I've said, no, I don't root them, throwing them out the window. But I, that's going on for years right. that they've had to. But you can understand this, yeah? Oh, yeah, totally, totally, and yeah. Are you familiar with that road I'm talking about? There are... There's no, there's no facilities work, there's no work at on. all. So what do you do? And yeah. if you're under pressure, what do you do? So, and like I deal with people a lot on the dehydration side and people are saying to me, Muriel, we can't drink. So I can't, if I'm going and I have like a number of lorry drivers that come into me. Um, so if I'm whatever, four or five hours and I have to get to where I'm going, I can't drink. They'll, they'll actually say to me, we're, we're terrified. So from what the sip of water, whatever they take, or the first cup of coffee, one wee stop. After that, if they drink any more than that, there's going to be whatever, 10 wee stops. So they can't do it. So It's, it's incredible. And you add, you know, a, a time situation to that as well, yeah. where, where they're under pressure to get a place by a certain time. That, that's or, exactly. So it, they can't be turning off roads. And, no, yeah. and, and, and I suppose, you know, when you hear conversations like this, yes. you kind of go on the... Um, defensive and you kind of go on the, the worst yeah, how, side of it. How dare they do this? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's always a reason for things. Like, nobody's going to try and pee into a bottle unless they really have to pee into a bottle. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, And people even that have young kids, if they're on a motorway, they're stuck in a situation or whatever. Like, I'm sure they know of instances and situations yeah. like that that happen. They should just bring them and get rid of them properly because it's definitely not fair to, um, yeah. It's, it's incredible. Now, yeah. speaking of getting you to, um, to get involved with uh, various different discussions we're having, yesterday, of course, was International Women's you were listening to the radio, you were listening mm. to some of the listeners who spoke to us about that. What, what's your feeling about that? It's funny, there's, there's just one statement came to mind. So Madeleine Albright, do you remember Madeleine of course, Albright? Yes, the, the American yes, politician, yes. Secretary of State, mm. etc. She said there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women. 
Okay, and her quote was, if there's anything that I've learned from being a woman, it's this. Women need each other, each other. Women need other women in their lives who will support them unconditionally. Women need other women who will root for them, love them, value them and stand in their corner no matter what the weather. In a society where we're often undermined, undervalued and unsupported, we need each other more than ever. Like, that is so true. You know, oh, for me... But, but is it happening, Muriel? Um, you know, I think we have to make it happen. So there's certain instances we're put down in a lot of different areas and say when you're working and like me involved in the world of work for the last whatever amount of years, I think if you surround yourself by positive role models, by women that have come through the system. So yes, we've all experienced women putting women down. I think there's a reason for it. I think it's it's maybe you're mentored wrong. Maybe you've seen it somewhere else. Maybe it's it's coming from like, say, background at home or work or whatever, that you have a boss that's really like not good or whatever. Mm-hmm. I know in my world I've gone through, I don't know if anybody has heard of going for growth or continuing the momentum. No. These are like round table, round table um, events that women empower women. So Paula Fitzsimons um, started the going for growth, I suppose probably about seven or eight years ago, for women to help each other out in business so that you actually had a mentorship support system of women that had gone through, maybe we're a year down the road or two years or 10 years or whatever mm. it is. She started this, so it's like roundtable discussions that you might do five or six a year. You get certs and things at the end of it. But for me, I've done bo- I've done two, the, the, the two that are there. I just found it phenomenal, Fran, that you actually walk into a room with maybe 150 women um, at your table, there could be eight, and you have a mentor that is, has gone on ahead of you and has, I suppose, made a success of whatever business she is. M- nearly all the women, they have families, they have husbands, um, they've been through separations, they have all the sickness with parents and all mm. the different bits and pieces, but they've managed to come through. And they've managed to come through most of the time because they had somebody to help them that was a woman somewhere along the way. Um, and we, we had this. And Breege Donahue was one of our, our women. So I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Breege, but she's uh, one of the directors of Primark and one of the original founding members of Primark. Tiny little dynamo. She's probably mm. about five foot two. She dresses like Sarah Jessica Parker. So the style is just amazing. But when we sat around her table, the first thing she done when she introduced, introduced us to each other was, right, OK, what can you do for each other? Right. What are your skills? What's her skill set? Mm. And for the next eight or nine meetings that we had, that's what it was about. What can you bring to the table? Where is your business at? Where are your goals? Where are your milestones? Right. What can she do for you? We've all stayed together. Amy Connolly, anyone that's, that, that, that knows of the makeup brand, mm. um, makeup, she was sculpted by Amy. Her starting place was with us on this um, choppy, you know, the, the gold, the girl that has the gold label or choppy, can't think of her surname now. Uh, she was one, one of the others. Anyone that drinks Cool Swan, Mary, the director of Cool Swan, was in the group. So it was just, it was amazing. It's all very positive. Really positive. And you know, you were shown things like, say, leadership. So if you're working um, with men, men will always sit front and centre. So men will sit like at the top of a table or centre and, and their, their, their body um, language or whatever radiates confidence a lot of the time. Whereas women will sit back a little mm. and they leave the men. So it's, it's about like, you sit front and centre. Uh, women get less airtime. So if you allow yourself to get air, less airtime, the men will, you know, get the airtime that they need. Uh, and wh- so what do you mean in terms of speaking time? In terms of speaking time, okay. yeah. So yeah. you literally, you put yourself out there so that you actually are front and centre and right. you look for the speaking time. And if a woman speaks or there is other women in your circle, you support them, you back them up, you know, you agree with them, you you, you just create right. the positive whatever. And in your experience, outside of the organised times, you know, with mm. what you talk about, like workshops or whatever, what have you seen, though? Have you seen that always? You see, I find it scary. So in Marito, we're really selective in this relation... your own clinic, yeah. Yeah, in the yeah. clinic, really selective in relation to the women that, that are working with us, okay. our team, 
right? So if our team aren't positive and don't support each other and haven't got each other's back, well then they're not there. We've got to support each other because we can't work every day if we don't. I have four kids, the girls have three and two and whatever kids and they have like sick people in the background or whatever. So if, if somebody's busy, somebody else cleans the toilet. You know, if somebody okay. hasn't had lunch, somebody else lands lunch in front of them. If somebody comes in and they're down and they're under pressure or whatever, you either leave them alone or you find out, can you help them? That has to happen or your day can't, you can't function. So women that, I suppose, it's a fast-paced world, right? So we're, we're, we're going all the time mm. and we chat to people and we might be working, not working at home, carers, whatever it is. You live in your head a lot. And when you live in your head a lot, like if you don't have these women and these friendships, it's very hard to get out of it. And that's depression and anxiety and where the stress can set in. So to have these women that you can talk to is really important. In my world, I suppose, I do find, yes, Ireland is probably different to some of the other countries that they do empower women and they do let women do a lot more. So we we fall down to a certain degree, do we? I think it's the old-fashioned. It was always men. Men were at the helm of the family. Like, say, farming backgrounds, different things or whatever. The men were the main earners, they brought home the money, you know, the wife stayed at home. Even even as girls, like, how many girls in Ireland, if, 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 if people ring in even to say they weren't put through college because it was more the man's place and they were going to get married and it wasn't mm. going to happen or whatever. And in my world, even with things like HRT, like women go to their GP for HRT and they're told, no, you don't, you don't need it. And they're in an all-merciful state. Now, I know we're, we're starting to lift the lid on it. But I'm finding that even now with the obesity side and the saxenda and that, that I'm finding like it definitely is harder. Women are trying to push the door. You know, it's, it's tougher for them than what it is for men. Yeah, uh, I made the point yesterday that, I mean, let, let's take politics, for example. I mean, yeah. women could go out and vote for more women, but they yeah. don't. I mean, Holly Kynes is flavour of the month with the Sock Dems at the moment. I mean, let us drag ourselves back to the last general election. She barely scraped in. She wouldn't have done so except for some um, some uh, transfers from Sinn Féin. Mm. So, like, let's not clap ourselves on the back too much. W- women no. need to... Women have got women. to step up. Women yeah. have got to step up and, 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 and empower and support and do the positive side. Um, Uno Hagen, you know, Manor yeah, Pharmacies, yeah. whatever, yeah. had a brilliant thing on Instagram yesterday. It was just a piece on about women International Women's Day um, and how she's gotten to where she is, the helm of all these um, pharmacies or whatever. Yeah. Uh, looks fantastic. He's up every morning working or whatever because she was supported and empowered by the women in her world. So her circle, her mother, her aunts, her friends or whatever, clapped her on the back every single time she done well. Amy Connolly is the same. Amy will tell you in her background, in her office, she has 10 or 15 women that clap each other on the back. If somebody loses weight, if somebody looks really good, if somebody gets the, uh, their hair done, if we don't support women, Fran, we're at absolutely nothing. We've got to be our own best. Right. What should you say? Yeah, yeah it, 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 I, I just can tell you from my experience, Muriel, it's it's not happening. It's certainly in the music business. It's dreadful. It's yeah. dreadful. But I, I mean, think it's our own fault. Yeah. I think us as women, it's our own fault. And like, even in the aesthetic world, um, so many people don't want anybody to know they have ha- they've had work done. Most of the time, men don't care. If you look well, you look well. Yeah. You know. But yeah. for women, women knock each other very easily. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. that has to stop. Well, I mean, I go on stage with the other Muriel, Muriel O'Connor, and. Nobody has ever said to me, and God knows some nights I would look like I was dragged out of a ditch somewhere. Nobody has ever said to me about what I was wearing or anything. But boy, would they have said it to her. Yeah, it's funny because um, men get more distinguished as they get older. 
So you can have the grey hair and you can put on a little weight and all the bits and you're just more distinguished. Whereas with us, as we get older, we just get like haggy and yeah, and like, look, she's... And these are the comments. And these these are literally the comments. I remember right. I used to teach aerobics years ago, step aerobics in, in, in um, Manila, in the Hotel Manila. And it depended on what I was wearing in relation to the comments that I got. And that was like going back 30 years, like that doesn't really suit you, Muriel. Like you look fat or you look whatever. You that would be said to backside you. Backside or, oh, that was said to me so many times, literally. Yeah, I didn't care. And I was young and all the bits, it just washed over my head. But well, I, I was talking to a really well-known singer who shall remain nameless and before she went on stage uh, one night, another yeah. woman came up to her and said, now she was about to be announced on right. and a woman said to her, you put on a bit of condition since I saw you last. Now imagine that being said to you and you had to step out in the spotlight. Yeah. I mean, that is... It's it, awful. You know. It's awful. But the, the, the issue is the woman that actually said it. Where is it coming from? Because if we continue this like our daughter's and the next generation are going to right. come through and going to be exactly the same. But this is it enough then to have International Women's Day and say, oh no, that'll fix everything because it won't? No, it won't. But you know, I think anyone that was on Instagram or on social media or watching the women that are out there, there's a lot of very strong women that are there that are supporting each other. I'm finding that. In any of the circles I'm moving in, uh, women, International Women's Day, I didn't get to the Honor Hotel yesterday, but I know the girls that are there all have each other's back. So I think we've got to do more of it. Like this hyper-competitive bitchiness has to go. And like, that's what it is. It's nearly like she's slimmer, she's whatever. Mm. If somebody looks well, they look well, give them a clap. Because like, there's so many things going on. Like, everyone has a story. Every single person has a story of something going on in their background. Nobody just steps out the door and automatically looks well without a lot going on in their head. Mm. They'll still have that going on in their head, you know. But if they can empower each other, um, was it the Women's Networking Group, the Irish Women's Networking Group was on the, was it the awards or whatever were on this weekend? So it was 280 women in a room. Uh, one of my friends was doing the MC on it, Mandy Marr. If you've ever heard Mandy, she owns Catholic Modelling Agency. Mandy will say the same thing because she's involved in the modelling world they've got to empower each other or they'd all fall down because they've got to look well. So they've got to get out of bed in the morning. And that's harder for someone that has to get out, out of bed in the morning course, yeah. and look well rather than somebody that's involved in a world that they can stick on a tracksuit and nobody yeah, takes any it's notice. Just, it's just that obligation to look well all of the time. I mean, you always come in here looking very glamorous and stuff and I can't imagine, like, I mean, how much time you have to put into that. But I mean, I don't. And none of the guys around here do, you know? Yeah. But it's... Well, I suppose in my world, you've, you have we have to look well, whatever. Yeah. And they'll give out to me if I go to the gym in the morning and I come in looking whatever they'll say you were in the gym this morning your hair's cat I was actually told yesterday Fran and if she's listening now she can actually go down <laughs> onto the desk because she told me my hair looked like a pancake and I said this is from another one now you see my <laughs> point Muriel, I you know, know I know and that was really funny and I said I can't believe you said that and she said I know said, but that's yeah. really funny but we have each other's back and we laugh at the good of it right. you know and you have to do that and I think if um we get back what we put out. That's one of the things. So if we don't start putting out the positive vibes and supporting each other, we're not going to get right. it back. And you have a lot of women coming into you for various different reasons, whether yeah. it's nutrition or whether it's it's uh, whatever work that they want to get done. But is this part of your conversation with them? Uh, so much of the time, people's, um, what would you say, their whole demeanour is on the ground. Yeah. But I do try and talk to people and say it's a two-way street. So what you give out is what you get back. Yeah. So the woman that gave the bitchy comment to the girl going on stage, mm. she's going to get a lot of those bitchy comments back if that's what she's actually putting out to people. So like, it's so like, you're opening yourself up for well, a critique. if you smile at the world, the world smiles back. Okay. Doesn't yeah. it? Like, like if you actively admire somebody. So like the girl I sp said to you about Mandy that was doing the MC, mm. 
no matter who they are, Mandy will stand back and she will always find something positive to say about somebody. And it just endears you to her straight away. You want to be in her company. You want to be with her because, and she'll talk, she'll ask you questions about you. She's beautiful herself. She has a story in her background, yeah. But she'll ask all the questions about me and my kids and my world and whatever before we'll ever move on to her world and what she's doing. So if we open ourselves up to that, and that's what I do even when I'm in clinic. It's my world, it's my job. But I do try to talk to people. So many people come in fan, and they do cry as in they either have the husbands or the wives or the parents that have put him down over the years. I get those stories every single day and they don't know what to do. The weight is on. The health markers are, are wrong. What do I do, Muriel? I'm 56. How do I get myself back? Mm. Kids are still living there. The kids are still coming in. I bought X for dinner last night. They never bothered turning up. I still have it. I haven't got the money to pay for it. How do I become more assertive? How do I actually get myself so that's as much part of the meeting with you as, as any other oh, yeah, candidate. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you actually get somebody's... Yeah. Do, you want, do you want to have a quick word with me on um, uh, people trying to get um, prescriptions for that weight loss drug? Is, it, is, there a, is there a criteria across the board for that? Because we yeah. get quite... Every time that you come into me, we get questions about this. Yeah. Um, I suppose because it's nearly a miracle drug at this stage... Yeah. Um, People are losing weight, weight with it and we have so many people on it and I think most of them, like 95% of people are finding it. It's a massive success. Yes. For me, it's a massive success as in the weight loss is coming off. So you see the kilos of kgs coming down, Fran. But I'm seeing things like, so we have all the body analysis machines and, you know, so we can do the internal, etc. on it. Visceral fat levels around the internal organs, so the abdominal area and the heart are coming down. Their body fats are coming down, but their lean muscle is staying if they're doing any form of exercise. We're finding the cholesterols, the blood pressures are starting to stabilise mm. when the weight comes down. So it's a miracle drug. It's a miracle drug, but the whole world is going to want it. Okay, And that's so the trouble, isn't it? There's a scarcity and right. it's expensive. So the criteria is what exactly? So you've got to have three core morbidities. Okay, so you've got to have something like high blood pressure, like, like hypertension, so prolonged high blood pressure. Yes. Um, high cholesterol, maybe, um, on a statin, so you're already on a tablet for it. And then your, your BMI needs to be over 35. So that's come back to over 27 now for overweight people, but for the type 2 diabetic, right. it's So any one of those core No, you've got to have all three. Oh, okay. You've right. got to have all three. Right. Okay, so there has to be three that that are in relation to cardiac or diabetic. Um, right, it's illness. a blunt instrument, though, isn't it, to make a judgment on? Because it, it's really hard, and I know GPs are finding it really hard. Yeah. And this was because it's two hundred and fifty euros for the course for one month. So if you were on a course for three months, that's seven hundred and fifty euro. Now people have said to me, Muriel, that's a small price to pay. That's a holiday or whatever. I actually, had a girl in yesterday, and she said, "I'm not doing any holiday this year. We're mm. going to do a weekend away somewhere. I want to do this, and I want right. to get myself for right me. for me, for me. Yes. Yeah. But again, it's some of the time it is down to the GP. So it's really important, yeah, that we get it right. That the people that really need it get it. Mm. That's that's a worry for me. All right, because there was a particular scarcity just after Christmas, wasn't there? There was, the, and there was a particular yeah. person into me that really worried me that needed it. And she didn't get it. Right. And, and that really upset me. So, yeah, I suppose. All right. If people want to talk to you or your staff, Muriel, how can they go about yes. that? So it's 052 61 All right. Great to see you as always. Thanks, Thanks very much Thanks, indeed, Fran. Muriel. We'll take a break. Back with more in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie The winner of our tickets uh, to the Marty Party is uh, Anne Hickey from Port Row. Well done to you, Anne, and I hope you have a fantastic time there. I'm hearing as well that bingo's cancelled tonight in Shinrone, and that's, needless to say, due to uh, weather worries. Patrick was on to us to say, Fran, I saw a guy throwing leaflets all over the street instead of going to the individual houses where I live. The whole road is covered in them. You should report him, Patrick. I presume he's representing somebody if he's uh, delivering, or supposed to be delivering leaflets properly. My old friend Tom in Dundrum saying, beauty is in the in the eye of the beholder, Fran. Okay, lots more coming into us uh, on this. The Belarusian politician, uh, Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, is the 2022 Tipperary International Peace Award winner, and she'll join a very illustrious list of previous uh, recipients. Martin Quinn is Honorary Secretary of the Tipperary Peace Convention, and he joins me now. Martin, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And really good to talk to you today. Will you tell us a little bit about Svetlana? Yes, indeed. I suppose uh, she's sprung to prominence, really, uh, as a result of her husband. Uh, I mean, she's the uh, Belarusian. Uh, she was the Belarusian opposition leader and candidate in the 2020 general election. But um, it came about because of her husband. Her husband was the official candidate. And uh, when he was being nominated, he was arrested and detained and um, subsequently imprisoned. And then um, Sviatlana decided that she would take up the the, the fight, if you like, and uh, she went in place of her husband in the election. And the election itself, of course, uh, showed um, from an international perspective, I think everybody was uh, agreed that the uh, election wasn't conducted in a fair and impartial manner. And uh, Svetlana filed a formal complaint with the Central Election Commission uh, because of the result. She felt she had won the election. And uh, for doing that, she was detained for seven hours in in retaliation. And uh, after her release, then, she chose to flee to Lithuania in fear of repercussions, which could have indeed affected her children. She has links with uh, Tipperary, however, Martin, hasn't she? Yes, indeed, very strong links, uh, because she spent many summers since she was 12 years of age in Ross Grey, um, with Henry and Marion Dean in the Dean family home as part of a programme for children affected by the Chernobyl disaster. So she would be very familiar with Tipperary and with the county. And indeed, it was one of the things that she remarked about, you know, that she, the, the family showed her a great warmest heart, is what she said, mm. Um, of the Irish people and and particularly the the Dean family in Tipperary. So she's delighted, I think, um, from that perspective alone that she's been uh, nominated for the uh, Tipperary uh, International Peace Award and declared the recipient, I think, uh, is bringing her great joy. And have you made contact with her? Have you heard from her on this personally, Martin? Yes, indeed, I have, yeah. and uh, she's she's 
very excited about it. You know, she she mentions uh, uh, about coming as a child under the uh, Chernobyl Children's Programme. Um, but going on, she goes on to say that, um, you know, Belarusians know how to fight for their land mm. and their culture and their traditions. And she she feels that there's a lot in common, that Belarusians have a lot in common with Irish people. And she's really excited about about coming to, to Tipperary for the award. She, she of course, has, was there, I, I think it was uh, 2021, when uh, she came uh, on a visit to Ireland and, and she reconnected with the Dean family on that occasion. So she's really looking forward now to, to renewing acquaintances. And she says really that the award is not for her, but for the people of Belarus and all of those for the 1,300, uh, in excess of 1,300 political prisoners, uh, including her husband. Very good. Will you remind us of the adjudication uh, process again? I mean, you literally put this out to people to to um, submit who they thought was worthy of this uh, award, Martin. That's right. We we put it out um, nationally and internationally, and uh, we get uh, quite quite a, 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 gr- a good response to it. You know, yeah. we get we get many people. Uh, nominating the same person or the same people or the same organisation, but we we get a great selection of uh, nominations, and I think that's the important part of it. That uh, so many people have different views mm. on what they consider. You know, is a, uh, somebody should be honoured for for peace, and how they consider somebody should be honoured for peace, and it's great actually to read through the CVs when we get them because it gives you a a wonderful perspective, I suppose, of what people are doing. A lot of people doing this silently, you know, in the background and not being brought to prominence. And I I think it's fantastic. And I mean, with uh, Sevilla Atlanta, you know, it's it's a case of uh, she was catapulted, if you like, into the spotlight because of what happened with her husband. Uh, I don't think she ever intended it to be her uh, in the spotlight, but now it is. And it just shows democracy, I think, is a big thing. Um, in the in with this award and indeed with with all different awards over the of years. Of course, and uh, the Peace Award is always relevant, uh, Marta, but never more so than now with what's happening in you know close by her own yeah. country, Belarus. Uh, there's a war happening in in Ukraine. It's it's all the more important to talk about peace. It is indeed because, as you say, there is so much happening around the world. I think over the last uh, couple of years, particularly. We've become very conscious of it, uh, you know. I think during COVID as well, when yeah. people were housebound and everything, and we were watching the news a lot more and seeing what was happening in different parts of the world. And now, some of the things that are happening are just incredible. Um, and th- there is a real need for us to talk about peace. And you might say, what can you or I do as single people, but, you know, we can do a lot even in, in promoting peace and reconciliation and in looking for, for ways to to see that, you know, people should be respected 
and democracy should be respected uh, and the rule of law. And I think that what we're seeing in different con- in countries at the moment is very worrying. It's very worrying and not near enough talk about peace, certainly as far as I'm concerned anyway, Martin. So, well, so when is the festival, Martin? When is it happening? Yes, we're, we're planning for a date in early May. We're okay. working now with with her office in uh, to try and arrange a date in early May and we're looking forward to that. And we're also going to recognise the Irish Defence Forces um, with, with a, a special award um, because uh, this year is marking 65 years of peacekeeping uh, mission by the Irish Defence Forces in different parts of the world started in 1958 and uh, I think it's important for us as a peace convention to recognise the great work of the Irish Defence Forces over those 65 years and to honour their service. And particularly in the light of the the killing of that soldier just just, uh, late last year as well uh, while he was serving overseas. Yes, indeed, and and that's something I think that we'll be very conscious of uh, when we're recognising them. Yes. Just before I let you go, Martin, can I just direct you to a piece that you've written in The Nationalist yourself where the independent Senator Gerard Crockwell, he was in Tipperary Town, and he had a lot of stuff to say, particularly about that water feature in front of the district headquarters at Rosanna Road there, um, and about how it's been vandalised and how it's in rather poor shape. He was pretty upfront, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Um, I wasn't aware that that he was in Tipperary Town until I I saw the piece that went up on YouTube, and uh, then I I made contact with him, and uh, to to ask him a little bit about it because uh, he was um, he, he was prompted to visit Tipperary Town from an email that he received and from somebody from the USA, would you believe? And uh, he visited the town and I think that he was very shocked uh, with some of the things that he saw, such as the water feature. And and the water feature is linked to the the, 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 the Peace Festival as well, isn't it? It is, yeah. it is yeah. because there are plaques all around uh, the, the feature yeah. with the names of the recipients. But now, unfortunately, you can't uh, see them at all. You can only barely make out one or two names of, of recipients. And uh, it was the condition, I suppose, of, of, of the feature, which uh, we were, if you like, uh, fair, it wasn't new to us. We were seeing it going up and down, you yeah, know, on yeah. different occasions. And uh, I think it, it has got worse over the last number of, of months particularly. And uh, it is the colour of the water and everything that's in there and um, that's mm. that's that's the worst aspect of it. And I think that, you know, from the peace point of view, it's it's very sad to see that that the names are gone. So I would be hoping that the local authority will do something about well, that. Well, hopefully so. But it does play into conversations, Martin. We've been having over the last couple of days in a conversation that you're well familiar with your experience of community activism over the years as well and it just appears to me that littering and antisocial behaviour has gone to the dogs over the last while, you know? Yes, it is. And, you know, you have great group, tidy towns yeah, groups yeah. Uh, around the country, including in Tipperary Town that I mentioned, but you've 
tidy towns groups who are doing absolutely fantastic work. I mean, I see, like, you and I probably see them if you're travelling any sure. distance, yeah. you know, uh, with with their high-vis vests and their litter picking going on. And it's really fantastic what they're doing. And it's, it's, it's terrible then to see... Uh, places being littered like they are. All right, Martin, um, well done on that choice. I think it's a very good choice, by the way, of Sviatlana there. Uh, Thanks for talking to me this morning, Martin. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Martin Quinn there, uh, who is Honorary Secretary of the Tipperary Peace Convention. All right, we'll take a break. We have some live music on the way for you. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Now, Finding a Voice is a five-day festival of music in Clanmel by female composers through the ages and around the world in celebration of International Women's Day, which kicked off yesterday. The festival features performances from leading Irish and international musicians uh, of uh, pretty unforgettable music by some remarkable um, women indeed. Now, Finding a Voice was founded in 2017 by sisters Roisin Marr and indeed by Cleona as well. And I'm delighted to be joined in the studio now by Roisin and by wonderful guitarist Eleanor Kelly, who's with us as well. You're both very welcome and thank you for coming in to us. Uh, Roisin, you kicked off in great style last night. How, how did it go? Oh, thanks so much, Fran. Thanks welcome. for having me in and uh, myself and Eleanor. And it went really well last night. We had a lovely opening concert with a, a group called Musici Ireland. And and it was a wind quintet and they were just playing some gorgeous wind quintet music from the 19th century through to kind of more recent pieces and we had a lovely audience as well so it, the main guard is a lovely venue so very good. that went very well. Perfect day as well for it of course celebrating women. Absolutely yeah. International Women's Day so I suppose that's why originally the, the, the idea for the festival came from trying to put on some music by women mm. uh, around International Women's Day and it's really grown from there so uh, I think myself and Cleana, if we'd known six years ago that uh, we'd still be going on, it would have become this uh, multi-day yes. uh, extravaganza. Uh, we had no idea that it would take off like this. But, but when you start, and I remembered speaking to you both around the time you started, um, there wasn't the same attention, I suppose, on women composers and, mm. and, and women performers. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that the conversation has really moved on yeah. in the last few years. And, you know, hopefully organisations like Finding a Voice are, are part of that uh, Mm. because I think that there's more awareness now that there's some amazing music out there by women composers and it's not uh, you know it's not just something that can be confined to you know maybe a little token piece here and Mm. there Um, and I suppose with Finding a Voice we're trying to really showcase you know just music from through through the centuries and around the world and uh, you know it's not just um, something that's happened quite recently you know women have been writing music for you know for centuries if not millennia so uh, yeah. We'll be speaking to Eleanor Kelly in just a moment because she is a classical guitarist and she's appearing tonight as well. But before we do that, just some highlights of what's coming up over the next uh, while as oh, well. It says it's like trying to pick your favourite so child. Things, it's very it is, difficult. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose um, we we have, uh, obviously, Eleanor is over and she's going to be uh, popping up around the place. So people might want to kind of keep an eye and an ear out for her because she is going to be performing around the town. She's already done uh, some performances in Rathkeven Nursing Home 
home and in the presentation uh, secondary school. So it's nice for her to be over for the whole week. And we have a, a fabulous a Spanish pianist called Antonio Oyarzabal, um, who's coming. He's flying in tomorrow, and he's playing on Saturday at lunchtime. And he's another person who's just really championed music by women composers. And he's recorded a few albums of music by women. And again, his program is going to be gorgeous. It's really lovely, you know, romantic piano music, and uh, so that's going to be very nice. Uh, we've got some world premieres. So we've a premiere of a piece by Gronia Mulvey uh, on Friday night, and. Yeah. And uh, the Irish composer Siobhan Cleary on Saturday night. So those are going to be great occasions as well. Um, and we actually have, uh, would you believe, our youngest ever composer. So this is a Tipperary uh, teenager, Patsy Culleton. And so she has written a piano piece that is in the Royal Irish Academy yes, grade book uh, wow. for next year, for 2024. So it's in their grade four book. Um, but that piece is actually going to be performed tomorrow night uh, as part of our concert uh, in Old St. Mary's. So and uh, you mentioned Old St. Mary's. Uh, you have two main venues. One would be the main guard and the other is the beautiful uh, Absolutely. Uh, and and Old St. Mary's is gorgeous. Yes. Um, so t- tonight, Eleanor's concert is in the main guard and then the rest of the concerts will be in Old St. Mary's. And we have a real range of, of concerts, you know, so there's some music from the 17th and 18th centuries. So if you like, you know, music by Bach and Handel, you know, get along on Sunday lunchtime because we've got the, the leader of the Irish Baroque Orchestra playing and uh, we've got some free concerts as well so we have the Highfalutin Flute Quartet are going to be giving a free concert on Sunday afternoon at four o'clock and then Eleanor is going to be playing again uh, with the Contempo Quartet on Sunday night and that's going to be a fabulously special concert. Eleanor, delighted to have you in studio today. I'm very fond of (laughs) classical guitar and classical guitar music as well but uh, when I was uh, studying classical guitar I mean most of the composers that were presented to us were they were generally all men, weren't they? Yeah, that, that's the problem. I mean, that's sort of like the first um, chance people will get to encounter women composers. It's through their, like, studies. Yeah. So, obviously, if there's no, like, record in history books of women composers, it's very difficult for people to find the music and access it. So, uh, I think now it's becoming a bit more, mm. like, prevalent in studies and education. It's become a big, big thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's very very difficult to find the repertoire initially. Right, and indeed artists as well. Now I know that in the last ten years or so, I, I'm seeing more and more women classical guitarists coming on board. But again, it was largely a macho thing, wasn't it, for, yes, for many many years? Definitely, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's quite interesting because the guitar was actually um, a woman's instrument in mm. like the the 18th and 19th yes, century because it was a parlor guitar, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there was plenty of women who were playing the guitar in these in these times, and also writing for the guitar as well. Um, so there's a lot of like hidden repertoire and like guitar studies from that period, um, but again, it's just they were just hidden. Very good, and that's by, by women. By women, by women which yes, is fantastic. Yeah. It must yeah. be great to unearth uh, stuff like that. Isn't oh it? yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. always it's always exciting when you find you know a, a new piece by a composer or you know you find works by a composer who you think didn't write for the guitar in the first place. So, it's incredible, yeah. isn't it? Now you okay, you can champion the cause of women, but you also have to keep the quality up. I mean, is the quality there? They, is the music that's written by women is it comparable? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and if not better, you know, yeah. <laughs> in a lot yeah. of cases. Um yeah, it's just, 
there's just such a vast amount of music by women. Um, there's like thousands, tens of thousands of composers out there. So, uh, like, why wouldn't they be writing music that's just as good as their male counterparts? Of course, but didn't get the the, the recognition, I yes, suppose, over, yeah. over the years as well. You're playing classical guitar for us, but you, you kind of taught yourself, I think, initially, did you? Yeah, so initially, yeah, I was sort of more um, like pop and sort of rock guitar. Yeah. Um, I did play the piano when I was younger, so I could could read music a bit, but... Um, when I was 17, I just decided to start playing the classical guitar after hearing a concert um, near to where I lived. And, uh, and that's sort of relatively late, it, isn't it, for to... I suppose, yeah, compared yeah. to um, when other musicians might start. But, yes. uh, but yeah, but the passion of it really <laughs> kept me going. And, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think what draws people to it initially is just the beautiful sound, the absolutely incredibly beautiful romantic sound of the guitar. Yes, it, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not a loud instrument, but that sort of works in its favour because it can really draw the audience in. Of course, so. yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Will you play for us? Oh, yes, I would love to play right. something what, for what you. What would you play? Uh, I'll play actually a piece that I'm going to play this evening. So it's by a Brazilian composer called Chiquina Gonzaga. And she was actually she was a pianist, a uh, composer, and she was the first female conductor in Brazil. Very good, um, indeed. So this piece, it's not originally for the guitar, but it was from a, a burlesque operetta. And so it's, it's transcribed uh, for a Transcribed for, for the guitar, for exactly, guitar. yeah. And it's a Brazilian tango called uh, Corta Haka. All right, this is such a treat. In, in, in your own time, Milner. Thank you so much for that. Thank Your facility you. on it is just uh, amazing. Well, what sort of hours do you put in on a daily basis? Uh, well, well, as many as I can sort of fit in, but um, 
Well, yeah, I'd say maybe four is sort of like the maximum time for uh, for concentration. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's just massive. All I'm really jealous as well. I mean, you've worked with people like David Russell, for example, and uh, John Mills as well. I only ever got his books, his, uh, yes. his wonderful books that he had. Yeah, so I just started studying with John actually in Wales, and uh, he's just like a... An encyclopedia of like information, well, he's a and colossus of technique, and, and all of that, yes, isn't he? You yeah, know? and a very, very forgiving teacher, and very nice. So that's yeah. always. A, always ha, have you looked at any Irish music? Because quite a few classical guitarists are transcribing Irish music. Maybe that was eventually for harp and the like as yes, well. Yes, you know? yeah. So I haven't really explored that area, but I, I do. When I started with um, like acoustic guitar, I did listen to like a lot of folk music mm. and sort of like. Um, like dad gad tunings and oh, stuff yes, like that yeah. and a lot of that is derived from the, the Irish folk music so that might be something I could uh, bring on to the classical guitar as well Absolutely, well we'll insist on that next time <laughs> next, next <laughs> Isn't this such a special moment oh, that absolutely. we can have music of that quality Yeah, here like yeah that, no you know? it is, it's fabulous and I think that you know you were asking about the quality and there's so much high quality yeah. music out there you know and it's just it's not played as, as much as it deserves to be really you know and um, I mean for me originally I suppose with Finding a Voice it was trying to create opportunities you know for performers to uh, to showcase the music and for audiences to come along and listen to it mm. and uh, uh, you know but the music is you know it's just it's really fabulous it's really remarkable And at this point is it easier I'm sorry to sound dreadfully commercial here but is it easier to sell it at this point all six years on if you Yeah know I, I mean. think so yes. I mean I, I think originally when I started you know I was calling up performers and I was saying would you present a yes. programme of music by women composers and I was kind of slightly twisting people's arms whereas now I get emails and phone calls all the time from people pitching me uh, programmes of music by women composers so definitely there is a lot more awareness and I think you know Eleanor mentioned the whole idea of the resources you know so you know people are doing research and so a lot of the music is much more available you know online and Mm. uh, you know so it it is easier to access you know but of course music is you know if it's just on a printed page you know it doesn't mean anything it's about kind of getting it out there and getting it performed and getting it recorded and and, you know, and that's important as well and giving people the chance to listen to it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Is there something in there about a woman's interpretation of woman's music? Is, is there something in that somewhere, do you think? Um, possibly, yeah. I mean, when I first sort of really thought about um, women's music, it was from, a, from one of my lecturers from my undergrad. Uh, and I did think, like, oh, my gosh, I'm a, I'm a female guitarist and I don't play any music by women. So it's yeah. I really felt it was, like, my sort of calling to do that, to, like, really champion other women's works, especially as a lot of the guitar repertoire is written by guitarists themselves yes. as well. Indeed. And speaking of which, do you compose? Oh, well, <laughs> I, uh, I, I did do a little bit of composition, but yeah. I haven't written anything for the guitar yet. So, okay, well, maybe, maybe in the future, possibly. Is it, is yes, it something yeah. you look to, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, some inquiries about tickets already for the various different um, concerts. What, oh, what about brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, uh, tonight's concert in the main guard, uh, people can, all the concerts, I suppose, really, people can go on to findingavoice.ie. So, that's our website, and there are links mm. there to uh, to click in and uh, book an event right for all the tickets. Very so, modestly priced. I know, do you know I actually, I made such a big effort this year because I, I'm conscious of the whole cost of living crisis and you know, not wanting to put too much onto people and also I suppose if people are taking a punt on music that they've never come across before uh, so the lunchtime concerts are 5 euro and the evening concerts are 10 euro and 8 Fantastic. euro concession so it's really I, I think, I hope it's very affordable and I really hope to you know, just get nice crowds for, for the concerts and, and support this. I, and, and 
and why wouldn't they? And tonight is in the, the main guard with Elner. And what what time is that tonight? So that's at seven o'clock. Seven yeah, o'clock. Okay. yeah. So it's now, a, I think kind of it, early is it limited enough in terms of the main guard would be more limited. Okay. Uh, so uh, we've already got very good ticket sales for that. So I would say, I mean, we will have tickets on the door for everything. Um, possibly with the main guard concert tonight, I I would kind of go on and and book ahead because right. uh, you know it, it's a smaller venue. Um, but there will be tickets yes. available on the door for the the um, old St Mary's concerts as Elmer, well. I have about two and a half minutes left. Can I can I get you to play something else? Would you have something for that would fit into that uh, two and a half minute window? Sure, would yes. you? Yeah. 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 Excellent. Yeah. What, what would you play? I actually might try and play uh, a piece by Violetta Parra, who was a Chilean. Uh, Folk, folklorist, ethnomusicologist, uh, composer, visual artist, like a lot of different things. Mm. So, um, again, this is another transcription of one of her most famous songs, uh, Gracias a la Vida. Very good indeed, in your own time, Elder. Okay. Absolutely beautiful, Eleanor. Thank you so much for that. Eleanor appearing tonight in the main guard. Roisin, thanks very much. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us in the studio, Fran. Music. Uh-huh. Thank you indeed. Uh, that's it for me. Emma produced. Ali looks after our content. Stephen is on the way, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye bye. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 